This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time, or in this case, one's TV season at a time. I am your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, dude? Nothing much. Uh, slowly on the mend, uh, as is usual. I've gotten through about a, a two-week spell of just feeling awful. It's kind of a, a yearly tradition here, but <laughs> I'm ready to talk about Star Wars. Yeah, and I, I, I hope... Uh, I hope this is the end of that kind of wonky spell we had over the, over the holidays. Um, I know we've definitely missed a couple of weeks, and I apologize for that. Just you know, your work, uh, me going on vacation, the family, then getting sick, then you getting sick, and just it's a mess. You don't want to know about it. But today we are back, and uh, we're going to take a quick break from the MCU uh, to talk about another the- quick break. A lot of quick breaks. Lots of quick breaks. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the first season of Star Wars Resistance, which was the animated TV show that followed up Rebels. And we actually we're, about to, we're supposed to talk about this like a month ago, because uh, the original idea was when we did in the in the, our outer room Facebook group we were doing a watch through the entire saga, and this was going to come right before the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi, and we were going to talk about it then. But then all the delays happened, so here we are a month later, and since we've already watched it, we're still going to talk about it. <laughs> And before we get into that, I want to ask you guys, uh, if you enjoy the show, to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Uh, it'd just be very helpful to help other people find us, and we would very much appreciate it. And uh, let's just dive right into uh, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on this TV show. Um, also, we're going to be making a lot of just offhand references to the Clone Wars and Rebels and different cast members. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, you might be a little lost in that. And uh, all I can say is <laughs> go listen to those episodes. They're super long, but uh, we had a lot of fun making them. So in uh, April of 2018, a little over a month after season four and the season finale, the series finale of Rebels had happened, a new Star Wars animated series was announced, Star Wars Resistance. It would be an anime-inspired show following a young Republic pilot who was recruited as a spy for the Resistance. It was uh, created by Dave Filoni and developed with uh, Carrie Beck, who is the creator of all the Lego Star Wars shows, like the, the, Freemaker, Chrono- the F- Freemaker Adventures and All-Stars. I'm- Have you watched any of those? Uh, some of them. Are they any good? I remember them being okay. Yeah, but from what I can tell, the actual day-to-day showrunners uh, for the series were Justin Ridge, um, who had wor- who's worked with Filoni ever since Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, he was a, a episodic director on both Clone Wars and Rebels, and then took over as supervising director from Filoni in the final season of Rebels so that Filoni could focus more on writing and directing episodes. Um, and then uh, Brandon Allman uh, the, of the recent uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle show and Athena Portilla um, who was a producer for Clone Wars and Rebels. They were the main show, actual day-to-day showrunners because uh, Dave Filoni was busy doing other awesome things like The Mandalorian and uh, Clone Wars Season 7. Yeah, I saw somewhere where he said he felt like his involvement in the Resistance was very similar to what George Lucas's involvement was on The Clone Wars, where it was less direct involvement in the nitty-gritty episode-to-episode, but still this kind of this overarching presence that was involved in some way. And a part of me wonders... Like I, not to bash the show because I quite enjoy. It, but like I wonder if this this entire show, given the fact that it's only going for two seasons, if it was kind of just Disney wanted a show, you know, to stick into this this slot in between, you know, the next season of of, of, of uh, Clone Wars and then whatever animated show that they'll hope, hopefully have in the future. Like just this, you you could tell the style of the show was definitely uh, created so that it could be done on a much much lower budget. 
in the previous two episodes. Like it still looks amazing, but like 2D is you know CGI 2D is just simply easier to do than than uh, 3D like that. So as far as, far as like the inspirations of the show, um, Filoni said he took inspirations from his uh, grandfather's experience as a pilot in World War II. Uh, he also wanted to like capture the excitement of racing, as well as you know to give important world building uh, info on the rise of the First Order leading into The Force Awakens. The show starts six months prior to the destruction of Hosnian Prime. Uh, he wanted he said he wanted the show to feel uh, very similar in tone to the sitcom Cheers. Uh, here's a quote he said, I want a show that takes place in one set that you go to constantly. You get to know the patrons, you get to know the people, and and you introduce new characters, and it's all about their way of life. Um, and I, I haven't seen Cheers. I don't know much about that, but I do really enjoy that kind of tone that he set for the show. Justin Ridge said that the unique visual style of the show was inspired by Hayao Miyazaki's visuals, as well as Robotech and Lupin, Lupin, and, uh, Lupin the Third, which is funny because I'm actually in the middle of a or on the <laughs> on the front end of a Lupin the Third watch through, going through all the many many hundreds of episodes of that show, which is they're a lot of fun. Uh, the episodic directors were made up pretty much entirely of the the crew of episodic directors from Rebels was just brought onto this. Uh, also, many of them are you know, veteran Clone Wars directors. However, the writers uh, were made up almost entirely of people who were just completely new to Star Wars animation. Uh, very few people uh, were brought over from the series. If I'm not mistaken, only Stephen Melching uh, was brought over from Rebels. The Japanese animation studio Polygon Pictures, uh, who had done some work on the Clone Wars, did the animation for the series. So... For the, uh, the series cast, we have uh, Christopher Sean, who plays the lead character, Kasudo Zioni. Scott Lawrence as Jarek Yeager, who I think is probably both of our favorite characters. I didn't agree to that. <laughs> Josh Brenner uh, as Niku uh, Vazu, Vazo. I forget how to pronounce the last name. I don't know. Do we ever hear it? I was about to say, I actually, looking at it now, it's not even familiar. Um, Susie McGrath as Tam Riora. Uh, Bobby Moynihan as Orca, Jim Rash as Flix, Donald Faison as Hype Faison, um, Myrna Velasco as Toradoza, Lex Lang as Major Elric Von Reg, Stephen Stanton, uh, great uh, Star Wars alum at this point, um, as Griff Haloran, Jason Hightower as Captain Emmanuel Doza, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn as Freya Fenris, Sumali Montano uh, as Agent Tierney. And then we have other recurring characters. Oscar Isaac appears as Poe Dameron uh, in various episodes, uh, as does Gwendolyn Christie as Captain Phasma. Uh, Liam McIntyre plays this series' villain, Commander Pyre. Uh, Elijah Wood shows up in a few episodes as Jace Rucklin. Tova Feldsche as Aunt Z. And Nazneen Contractor as Sonara San. Uh, we also get a little clip from Domhnall Gleeson as General Hux. And then we have other little bits of casting like D. Bradley Baker, Steven, or, or, D. Bradley Baker Sam Witwer, uh, and Jason Bloom, who, who appear at various points in Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, also show up to voice side characters throughout the season. And then the, show, uh, the series premiered on October 7th in 2018. And this was right in the middle of that very dark period where we had like a year, almost over a year and a half of no Star Wars. And so like, even this show was like a godsend at the time, at least for me. So this is your first time viewing, but I, I, I actually watched through this series uh, week to week when it came out. And I think this was actually the first weekly show that I ever watched, you know, week to week as it was coming out. I've, 
always been a binger before that, but uh, I couldn't wait. And uh, let's just talk about this real quick. I know coming coming off of the highs of Clone Wars and Rebels and just what those shows were able to accomplish, I feel like it was kind of a shock to everyone when the next Dave Filoni animated show, when the teaser came out and it was like very obviously a kid show. Um, do you remember how you felt when that when that first happened? Yeah, I, I mean, I was fairly disappointed with that first teaser um, just because, you know, like you said, we, we had finished Rebels not not too much before this and um despite us being divided over the rebels finale i think like obviously the both of us still really enjoyed that show on the whole and and are absolutely in love with clone wars and everything so i was yeah. i was very excited and the idea of a show about racing i i the, things were being said that i i really liked but then um i i, th- I think there were a couple of things that were said before it came out that had me a little bit nervous it sounded like it was leaning a good bit, like more lighter. And then with that uh, that teaser, a lot of the jokes were in that teaser. And this was obviously very like slapstick, um, very childish kinds of uh, kinds of jokes that were filled in that uh, that first teaser. And and yeah, I guess shock is kind of how I felt. Where it just felt like an odd decision to me. Uh, especially at that point to where there was still a lot of um, reluctance to embrace the Disney Star Wars era. There were people who were not super into everything that was happening. And it just, it's, it, oh yeah, all the last Jedi haters just globbed on this. Oh my gosh, look what Disney's doing now. <laughs> yeah. And like, it, it, it definitely just, and obviously they can't, like these things take a long time to get made. And so it wasn't as if this was made immediately following everything going on with the last Jedi. Like this had been in development for a good bit, but I I do remember just like with that first teaser thinking, Oh man, people are going to have a field day with this. This is, this is not really what it, even people who like myself, who are really loving what Disney was doing at that point. Um, at that point, not really, (laughs) not really what, uh, (laughs) what, um, any of us were clamoring for. Yeah. Um, and I, for for me, the one of the big shocks was just the animation style. Um, like I, 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 the Clone Wars, you know, it it started out kind of janky. Like it, it I, but but and it's just it's an a very odd animated look for even like animated movies or animated TV. Um, uh, but it's something that really grew on me, especially as they got better and you know just were able to put more work into it. Yeah, seasons and five Rebels, and six are pretty fantastic. Yeah. Looking. Yeah, and I think you know, resist rebels as well. Uh, you know, they changed up the look, and that took a while to get used to. But I think both of those shows are very gorgeous. And I was hoping you know for another three D animated show like that. And this is a CGI animated show, so I was like, uh, that's that's what I was expecting. And then, then when it came out, I was like, oh, this is like a two D anime kind of CGI hybrid thing, and it really put me off in that first trailer. However, I have really come to love this animation. Um, I don't know about you, but just I think it's. It's it just make it one thing that I think we like about it is just the way they're able to light it. I think just the lighting across this show, just the use of shadows and you know bright lights and it's just everything, just it makes it a really gorgeous looking show. I think the the colors are really pop. Um, the, the characters' designs are fun. Um, but also just the way that they're the way this animation allows them to show like the speed of racing, like the the ships flying over the ocean, the water the water effects mm. are I think absolutely 
you know, gorgeous space flight. It's, I think this style, even though it kind of put me off at first, I've really grown to love it. Just I think the way the characters look, but especially just the way I think CGI within this kind of 2D framework is able to make just really, really gorgeous images. Yeah, I I was definitely um, put off a bit by the animation with that first um, that first trailer, and that's a lot of that. It's also just because uh, of what was in the trailer. You know, just I was seeing the animation while I was also being introduced to you know a, a much lighter uh, show than I was expecting, and so I think the animation kind of received unfair criticism from me just because of you know, this was how I was receiving all of this information. But I think it was after, like, the first two episodes, I kind of uh, really came around on the animation as well myself to where now, like, I, I really do like the way the show looks. Like, um, th- I was noticing a lot of the same stuff that you had pointed out. The The shadows look really, really cool. Um, they're really, like, defined. Um and I, I've always kind of been a fan of that cell shading kind of animation. You know what looks really cool? The stormtrooper armor, especially like a pyre. Yeah, the the reflections and stuff. It looks really, really sleek. Um, so I so I did come to really enjoy uh the animation itself, and I even like just the the direction uh behind a lot of the animation. Like, there's something about this. I don't know if it's um, if I just need to go back and rewatch Rebels and Clone Wars and see if this feels a lot newer here in Resistance, where it just feels like a lot of these shots are really, really wide shots, where there's just huge amounts of environment in single single frames and stuff, but it feels like really, really nice compositions and stuff. Um, there's there's a lot of a lot of images in this that feel really gorgeous and big and full. I'm sure they had more freedom to do that, being that they they only had to make, you know, this one location and obviously the various parts of it. So it's not like with every ep- every later episode of of uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, where every episode is a new environment. And, you know, they can only they only can make you know what they can see right then. Yeah. And this, I feel like they have a lot more room to play around with. Yeah. I just remember, like, there are just scenes of them going down, like walking through all the markets and. And where in the Clone Wars or Rebels, it might have, like, the, the camera would probably be faced on one wall looking at the other, and we'd have, like, these segmented little areas we're walking through. There's a lot of times where, like, we'll, we'll have shots that are just, like, looking down these different rows of marketplace, and you just, you see huge amounts of, of environment in, in single frames, and they've got it animated all the way to the end, and it, it just looks really nice. Yeah. Uh, let's let's uh, run through, um, let's just start going through the episodes. Um, so the first episode is uh, The Recruit. It's directed by Stuart Lee. It's a two-parter directed by Stuart Lee and Saul Ruiz and written by Brandon Alman. So a new, new Republic pilot, Kazuta Ziono, uh, is on a mission to get intel to the Resistance. They are attacked by Major Von Reg of the First Order. Uh, Poe Dameron shows up, and through some teamwork, they succeed in driving the enemy off the enemy ace pilot. Poe is impressed by Cass's piloting and enthusiasm and recruits him to be a spy for the Resistance. He is placed on the water planet Castellon, on a refueling station called the Colossus. There he is placed in the mechanic shop run by ex-rebel Jarek Yeager to work as a mechanic while he does his spying. Thanks to various mishaps and shenanigans, Cass ends up owing money to a small-time crook, Greville, and is entered into a race against ace pilot Toradoza, the daughter of the Colossus' Captain Doza. 
Yeager allows Kaz to fix up the infamous racer at the fireball to race in, uh, much to the chagrin of the other mechanic, Tam Revora, who was promised the ship. Um, the race comes around and Kaz almost wins, but the fireball lives up to his name and he crashes spectacularly. He lost the race, but at least earned some measure of respect uh, from the other racers and the mechanics. Uh, in the final scene, Major Von Reg arrives at Starkiller Base and requests a meeting with Captain Phasma. So yeah, pilot episode. What do you think, man? Uh, I actually do enjoy this first episode. Um, I really like seeing uh, Poe again. And like, I like that Oscar Isaac isn't just phoning it in. Like, He actually sounds <laughs> like he's having a good time playing the character in a, in a time that's like less high stakes. You know, so throughout this, at least throughout season one, He's just he's playing with like this very laid back kind of humor that I I like a lot. I'm, gl- I'm glad you noticed that. Like, I, there's something I wrote down. Like, he's so zen about everything. Like, he never gets worked up. Even like, like he 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 kind of walks through the the uh, show as if like he knows he's right, and therefore the universe is just gonna kind of bend around him. Yeah. And so he's just so chill about everything, and it makes his line delivery really funny sometimes. Yeah, he, everything is said with like this really like laid back even keeled kind of uh charm it, i don't know it, it's a it's a really fun time to be with the character before everything starts getting serious in the films <laughs> you scored a hit on the red tie no one else has ever done that except me of course <laughs> that's his character um so th- then we got kaz um kaz has gotten a lot of hate and some of it rightfully so like one of i think the most unfortunate aspects of this show being made for kids is that you know, what's funnier to a child than slapstick? And granted, that was very funny. I love Jar Jar Binks as a child. He was the funniest thing ever. So I can't blame them too much. But now as a curmudgeon adult watching the show, um, it is kind of irritating just how clumsy he is, just how often he trips or walks into things. It's just it's it, I think it, I think it, to a point it kind of hampers his character development, although Looking back now from almost like two thirds of the way through season two, I think it's pretty remarkable. Just like he comes to the show as like the most naive, overconfident, clumsy idiot who's pretty much his only skill is good piloting and a lot of probably unearned enthusiasm and confidence. But I think watching like comparing this first episode to like what he is in the finale where he is pretty much the de facto leader of this resistance cell driving the first order off the colossus like i think i think they overdid it at the start but i do think it did provide in hindsight a lot of room to grow for the character yeah i think my issue is a lot of it um and i'll get into this more as we get into to more episodes where this becomes a bigger factor it's just it it almost it reflects negatively on poe i think who just, like, is so quick to trust this guy who can't, like, take ten steps without tripping over something uh, and trust him to, like, smile. You know, if if he's found out, you know, that he's spying for the Resistance, there are very serious implications for the Resistance. And it, it just, you know, I guess in... That's why they don't tell him anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess they just deny him, deny any involvement. But, like, I mean, I guess it lines up with just pose just incredible overconfidence and just relaxed manner in in this season but you know we're it's pretty quick that we're just trusting this guy and literally the first 15 minutes we have everything that happens at the cantina and it, it i th- i think it's just it's hard 
to to tolerate in large doses just because so many of of the problems are are things that he created himself <laughs> yeah and so so yeah i mean like i said I, I i agree that you know we need to start with with some level of this so we can see the growth into the leader at the end but um i mean i feel like we're even we're a good way into the season and he's he's still just like walking into poles every 30 seconds <laughs> yeah um there's a uh, there's something I, I, on this latest rewatch i, I feel like poe kind of sees a lot of himself in kaz so he's like hey i turned out great so just throw the kid in some fire and he'll be fine <laughs> like like he's just he's just again he just thinks everything's gonna work out and i i do like a there's a, there's a really cool scene with, with Kaz. Uh, he's the son of a senator. Seems to be kind of like a spoiled trust fund kid who's had everything handed to him, but his father is also like very resentful about that. Um, like, you know, he's, he's a really, actually like a really gifted pilot. And I, I wish there was, this was something they highlighted where like, if he was like, you know, totally graceful in the air, but a, you know, a klutz on land, like if they highlighted that difference to where like, this is just the one thing he's good at, I think it could have maybe been a little more tolerable, but they never did, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that thing about you know, I like that for the first half of this episode, Kaz he really doesn't know how to do anything. You know, he he was a, a, you know, grew up in a rich family. You know, his father bought his way into the into the academy and you know bought him a position in the navy, and now he's doesn't have that. There's the scene where he calls his father, and his father's like, "Yo, what do you, what do you want this time? As usual, you need my help. You know, I help you get to the academy. I help you get everything you ever wanted. So, what do you want this time? Like, and he's like. Okay, then I'm just gonna find work, you know, find my way on my own, and it really is a huge culture shock for him when he gets to the Colossus, and you know, no one's like very few people are willing are gonna you know step up or you know stick their neck out for him. This kind of gonna leave him to flounder. And, like if it weren't for Yeager, he probably would have died fairly quickly. So it's just watching him as a character, just try who you know grew up very sheltered, now thrown out into a rather you know rustic and. uh uncivilized edge of the galaxy where he has to just kind of become his own person and le- just learn the most basic things that everyone else takes for granted. I thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, done in a very simple childlike way, but I think it's still a pretty interesting idea for a character. So uh, we meet uh Yeager and the crew. And uh, as, he, as you said, I think Yeager is our favorite. Uh, he's, he's just awesome. Like he's, he's grumpy, but he's also a really good guy. I, I, I love those characters. Um, <laughs> just that line earlier. It's, like we, we, we Poe walks and he's like, "What do you want? I don't want anything to do with you." And Poe just like, uh, with that same confidence, just kind of walks all over years. Like, "Hey, this is Kaz. He's gonna stay with you. All right, awesome. See ya." <laughs> yeah, I love that. There's hardly even like an actual agreement before Poe leaves. <laughs> you know, like it's it still just seems fairly up in the air Poe's like all right see you later <laughs> he's like yeah this is Yeager he'll put you up and Yeager's in the background I haven't agreed to that <laughs> yeah it's it's fun and then there's Niku uh who is kind of like a more adorable less violent Drax where he takes everything completely at face value he has no sense of irony or and um so you know he pretty much says everything he's thinking he, he there's no uh there's no guile or deceit in him um they were playing it once or twice, but overall, I find this character just kind of adorable. What do you think about him? Um, I whenever whenever he's just involved in regular 
conversation, I think he's fine. But whenever they really lean on him for the humor in a scene, it, it starts to be a bit much for me. Yeah, they really lean on this one where it's it's all just, you know, he hears Cass say, I want to be the greatest pilot in the galaxy. And then he goes and tells everyone in the station, oh, Cass is the greatest pilot in the galaxy. And he's the one. Basically, he's kind of the one who gets Kaz into all the trouble this episode. Um, I do like the line after Kaz, like, I I never said I was the greatest pilot in the galaxy. He's like, okay, I'll just be outside pondering the weight of your deception. <laughs> Every now and then he'll have a line. I'm like, okay, that's really funny, actually. Yeah. And then the, the, the other uh, mechanic in Yeager's crew is uh, Tam or Tamara. And I love this character. Like, I I don't know. I don't know, but I just find her accent super adorable. Like, this very kind of down-to-earth London accent. Um, and she... And it, it, her position here, I think, says a lot about the kind of person Yeager is, where she you know, she very much seems to kind of have like a, a, a surrogate father relationship with Yeager. She's kind of, you know, she has her place there. Yeager's kind of given her the ship to work with. Um, you know, she wants to be a racer. And that was another really interesting thing about this show is where everyone on the Colossus kind of has a dream and like a lot of the, the, you know, they want to get to the high tower. You know, they want, they want to be a racer. And it's like, 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 like the picture of life we are given here is like very difficult. And most of the people are just barely surviving. And, you know, you have like characters like Tam or uh, Jace Rucklin who are just, you know, they're basically, they're pretty much just abandoned kids and orphans who are just trying to, you know, fix up a racer so that maybe they could get a shot at the big leagues and, you know, find a way out. Um, and Tim is kind of like that. And the conflict of, of Yeager having promised her the fireball and then slowly over the season, because, you know, Kaz keeps needing it more and more for his resistance stuff is like her, her entire position, her entire livelihood and, and her plan for life is kind of being undermined underneath her, like without, you know, Yeez and uh, Yeager and Kaz, like even realizing it, which I just thought was pretty cool. Like it, it just, it just makes her distrust and anger and ultimate uh, abandonment of them in the end, I think actually work really well. Yeah. I usually have an issue with like these kinds of characters who, who kind of carry the, a chip on their soldier. Like so much of their interaction with, with like the lead and other characters is, is being grumpy and, and being upset. But because of one, because I usually share in her frustration at what Kaz <laughs> is doing. Uh, and to like, like what you said, this is kind of his involvement really is undermining her own plans. And so I never found myself annoyed with her character. I was in most of the conflicts. I usually found myself like mirroring her reactions. And like, and, and the, that, that kind of tough exterior, you does eventually kind of get worn away as she gets to know like Kaz or Sonara, where she actually, you know, she's a really decent, kind person, but she, but also has a very, just a very different perspective on the world from them. One, like one thing that goes, or that goes along with what I really like about the visuals is the way they visualize racing in this show. And I think that the, the ending race in this episode is actually like really, really cool to look at. Um, mm. something you had mentioned is just the way this uh, animation is able to convey speed it's you you feel like so much of the of stuff of the things in the show feels a bit weightless at times but whenever these ships are just passing by and you got that little bit of the camera shake and the the way the water reacts and stuff this is oh the water blowing to the side as they fly over yeah like oh, the, you actually really feel the weight and the speed of these ships and uh 
and for a show that's largely about racing, I think it was super important to nail that. And I, I even like just the, the idea of the of the rings and everything. It's a it's a cool way to set up this kind of uh, this kind of racing. Mm-hmm. And uh, one other thing I like about Kaz here is that there's there's a the scene where he, you know, he has to go get a gorg, which are <laughs> these kind of uh, these weird frog creatures that I find strangely adorable. Like they have this just tiny little legs and giant face and eyes. Um, but people just eat them all the time. It's kind of dark. Uh, but like he gets in trouble with the Gorg cellar. I forget how he gets in trouble with him. But essentially, he's able to talk his way out of it by promising uh, to race with the guy's logo on the side of his ship. And I think that's something that kind of gets Kaz through everything. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. He's pretty much always messing it up, but he's always kind of thinking on his feet and is able to usually kind of talk his way out or figure his way out of these situations. Like even though he's completely incompetent, he's you know clever enough on the fly to kind of figure his way out of things, which is kind of fun to watch. Um, yeah. So <laughs> last thing, I, I just the way that Yeager, like even though he's he does he you know grump, it was so grumpy in the beginning, but how he does not want Kaz. The moment you know the moment he's Kaz is there, he's like, all right, I'm stuck with this kid, and so he actually does go out of his way a lot to help him. And I think like. You looking at his crew the way it, it's Tam and Orphan and uh, Niku, who seems to be a very young person. Like, I you kind of get the picture that he is just kind of collecting orphans, almost the way like Han Solo did, um, with you know Luke and Ray, where he just kind of picks up people that need his help and he can't get rid of them. You know, he, he can't. He doesn't have it in himself to get rid of them. Um, where you see, he's just kind of just taking care of people who need it, yeah. uh, which is just makes him very likable. <laughs> I like that you know, with Cass, you know. I just want to thank you. Without your help, I've been thrown off. The, I've been thrown off the side head first. <laughs> yeah, he's great. The next episode is uh, the Triple Dark. Um, this one, while Kaz struggles to maintain his cover as a mechanic on the Colossus, Yigo's shop receives a new customer in the form of the Nemoidian Halian Nark, who wants the repairs to his ship to be completed before the next Triple Dark, uh, which is a storm that causes low visibility on Castellon. Besides juggling his work as a mechanic and spy, Kaz also has to contend with the Alina Greville over debts accumulated during a game of hollow darts. The Quarren pirate Crag and Gore and his gang attack the Colossus during a triple dark storm. Kaz manages to drive away the pirates by using a comm leak to beam a jammer into their communication system. Uh, it is then revealed that Kragan and his pirates are proxies serving a First Order, which hope to use the chaos to establish a foothold at the Colossus. Yeah, so I enjoyed this episode pretty much okay. Uh, one cool thing I noticed is that the the, the uh, Nemoidian shuttle is the, pretty much the, the shuttle that the ghost had after they lost their first one. Oh. They, they lost their first phantom. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that's a cool touch. Um, something that really struck me this time was uh, I felt Kaz's pain of being stuck in a mechanical job when you're like completely unmechanical by nature. <laughs> Well, uh, I worked for a couple of years as like an apprentice millwright and like doing a lot of industrial work. And it's like, there's a, it's a lot of details and everything has to be like calibrated, you know, down to the, you know, thousands of an inch. And just, that's not what I am. So it was always like, I felt like every time people would have a conversation, like we like, like are with the boss, like we got to do this, this, and this. Everybody's like, okay. They walk off. I'm like, wait, could you say that again? <laughs> Slower, please. Um, so Kaz just kind of being stuck there and having to be a mechanic and pretend to be a mechanic when everyone obviously knows he isn't, but he just has to keep it up. Is I, I definitely felt his pain there. Yeah. So I like. I I think my only issue there, and this is a this kind of goes back to my issue with with Kaz sometimes is is that some of these 
issues he's running into are are self-imposed where it's just like it, it's he you couldn't just pretend to be like yeah i mean i i knew kind of a, a thing or two about being yeah. a mechanic it's just like it's this constant like oh i can do all of this and i don't need to ask for help and i i got all of this under control it's like oh you're setting yourself up for failure and now like the next conflict is going to be because of your own words and yeah. he has all of post overconfidence but none of his skill the line where after uh Kaz uh, knocks actually knocks the uh, the, tr- the transmitter out of uh, Hallian's hand and he falls like and he's like I'll take that out of your bill Yeager great I'll take it out of Kaz's pay <laughs> and there's another interesting line where Kaz is like he doesn't want to work in the mechanics I'm like I have to go spy I have to go you know find out the resistance and end up and there was I forget what the, I mean, he says a line to uh, Yeager something about wait are you saying the average person isn't uh you know isn't in favor of the resistance he says kaz the average person doesn't even know about the resistance and i i love the way this 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 show kind of shows us a uh pretty much a galaxy who just who thinks it's safe and isn't just isn't at all concerned with the looming danger of the first order we we went through that horrible the two horrible wars the clone wars and then the, the rebellion against the empire and everyone just doesn't want to believe it can happen again which I, I think is just a really a lot of people say that you know the um having the first order come back you know, within the lifetimes of the of the legacy characters completely undermines the original trilogy and it undermines uh, the return of the Jedi. Like, oh, what was it all for? You know, evil just came back in thirty years. And I definitely understand that perspective, but on the other hand, I think the thematic idea of you know if you're not watchful, that e- you know, evil is just always right around the corner, and like the evil, you know, the way the, the empire escaped and it just was, was building up in the shadows as the kind of the new Republic created this kind of fake bubble of peace. I just like, I, I understand someone's disappointment if they wanted, you know, the, the victory in return of the Jedi to stick longer. But for me, at least I, I, I just, I find this idea like very thematically interesting. Yeah. Um, my issue with it has never been that it, it undermines the victory at the end of return of the Jedi. I think my only issue with the way the resistance in the first order has been presented is, is more of like logistical stuff. It, it feels like a lot has happened that we're just in the dark about. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's why I do like these lines about like the, the idea that most of the galaxy doesn't know about the resistance. They're unaware of the threat of the first order. I kind of wish that this show was like further back than six months prior to the force awakens. Um, uh-huh. cause I, I think something that I just really, really appreciated about rebels, um, is that if you watch rebels and rug one going into a new hope or even, you know, solo, um, and now at this point, Jedi fallen order as well. Like you, we feel so much of, um, or we see so much of the galaxy and what it looks like, um, and the way all of this, all of the politics are shaping, the life on different planets and stuff. And I wish that we got to see a little bit more of like, what's the awareness of the first order and what, what is the average person? What, what do they think that the first order's goals are? You know, like is anybody aware of what the first order is actually trying to accomplish? And I, and so like, I, I do appreciate that the show pulls that pulls the curtain back a little bit more, but even still, I, I would, I want more, I guess on, Mm-hmm. on what the state of the galaxy looks like. 
Yeah, for me, like that was never like I I agree that I wanted more, but for me, it was like, oh, that's going to come in TV shows and comics and books, and I I think it has. Like, there's the the book Bloodline. I think does a great job, kind of showing this from Leia's perspective. Uh, the Poe Dameron comic is leading up into the Force Awakens. So, like for me, like all of that is cool and awesome, but kind of extracurricular. And I think they've do- actually done a great job with shows like this, with books, with comics of of filling that in. Pirates. I, I love the designs of the pirates and the pirate ships. The pirate ships, I think, are really cool, especially like their their main ship with all of the flag. Like it's just such a cool design to me. Yeah, and every one of them is just cobbled together from like if you. I, I'm sure if you paused it and looked, every piece is just a piece of another Star Wars ship. Um, like I think there's like a Jedi starfighter slash tie thing in there. Uh, uh a Kragan ship is like a souped up uh, Imperial shuttle. Uh, he's he's wearing the helmet of like an AT-AT uh, pilot. It's just everywhere you look, there's just something cool happening. And uh, Kraken, Kraken is a uh, a Quarren, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, he's got missing tentacles and like a metal arm. He's he's definitely a pirate, a good, a cool pirate. Yeah. Um, and then we're in the end, we're uh, we're revealed that the pirates are actually working for the First Order. Under you know, Kraken is working for a Phasma Empire in order to destabilize the Colossus and hopefully get them an invitation on to help protect them. I actually, and I really like that as like a plot device, like that that's what the pirates are, are involved in the show for is to this, this proxy faction that's only being used to give credibility to, to the first order occupation. Like that's a really neat idea to me. Yeah. Next episode is a uh, fuel for the fire. It's directed by Bosco NG and written by Eugene son. Mm, I remember uh, when we used to say Bosco NG all the time. Uh, yep. I love these. all these names are all the same guys. Uh, so Cass is having trouble adjusting to his life as a mechanic while trying to watch the race while working. He accidentally drops an engine over the side of the station into the sea. Uh, after fighting with Yeager over this, he he uh, storms off and runs into another racer, Jace uh, named Jace Rucklin and his crew. Uh, he he befriends them and uh, and they go on a speeder race. Uh, but Rucklin sabotages Kaz's speeder and then quote unquote saves him from the ensuing accident. He then pressures Kaz into sneaking him into Yeager's uh, to see Yeager's famous racer. Uh, Yeager was a famous racer apparently. And while in Yeager's uh, room, Rucklin steals some uh, Corellian hyperfuel, which was a cool thing to see after seeing Sola, yeah. uh, which he hopes will help him win the race in his hunk of junk uh, speeder. So after the theft is discovered. Uh, and Kaz realizes what the hyperfuel will do. He races to Rucklin as the race is about to begin and pulls him out of his speeder, uh, out of his racer moments before the hyperfuel causes it to explode. Uh, Kaz then makes up with Eager, but then accidentally drops another cart full of engine parts into the sea. Yeah, and I, and I like this one that where he, Kaz was really getting called out and having it handed to him of just kind of how irresponsible he is. And Eager is really, really kind of grinding down on him. Uh, you know, both, you know, also for like, he's like, if you, if you aren't a good mechanic, then everyone's going to ask why you're here. And you know, it, that'll, that might reveal that you're a resistant spy. And if that's revealed, you put me and you put Tam and Nico and all of us in danger. Like he's got a, you know, a very much larger perspective and, and Kaz is kind of being a spoiled brat about it all. He, as irritating as Kaz is, I, I like that we have eager there to, to kind of provide that steady perspective, almost like a parental disciplinary figure to kind of, you know, guide him in the right way. <laughs> And then after their fight, when uh, Kaz goes to the to Aunt Z's bar, and I love Aunt Z. This is a line um, Aunt Z, have you ever said something that you immediately regretted? He's like all the time. And the first time I said, "Hello, Kaz." <laughs> <laughs> she's just great. Yeah. I, like I love the bit where she she's kind of the the um 
the station's bookie. And if anyone makes a bet and backs out, she has the her big uh, her bouncer just toss them into the ocean. Uh, there's a lot of fun side characters. And then we got Chase Ruckland, uh, voiced by Elijah Wood, uh, who is great at being very slimy, apparently. Yeah. And he's got a Draco Malfoy hair. So obviously yes. he's evil. Yes. Um, I, I actually like him as a side character here. Um, and maybe it is just because it's Elijah Wood. And I, I actually like I like his performance in this. But I think that kind of opportunistic, sleazy character very much makes sense on the Colossus. Um, mm-hmm. And it also makes sense that that's the kind of... I, I think one of, my, one of my issues, though, with this episode is it feels like this story would make more sense if, if Kaz's age was, like, dropped by, like, 10 years. Uh-huh. Like, it feels like it's almost... Because I'm, I'm watching through The Simpsons right now, and I watched almost this exact same arc, but with Bart Simpson, uh-huh. where, you know, just kind of getting carried away with a different friend group and giving in to peer pressure and stuff. And one cool thing that... I remember when I first saw this episode, I thought it was, it was just okay, because I thought it was all about that kind of, you know, watch your friends are parable. But then... Once we got to the uh, the episode, the platform classic is where I realized, ju- I think just how subtly strong this series writing was, where like in this episode, we see the picture of Eager's family, which we didn't know he had a family and obviously they're gone. Um, we get introduced to the, the concept of, of, you know, racers who cheat, try to cheat with a uh, Corellian hyperfuel and damage their ships. And then the way that kind of all comes back, you know, you know, several episodes later, I think that's something that this this show does a lot where with most of their story arcs, not very little happens all in one episode, like whether it's like a friendship developing or, or just, just like introducing important information. Almost everything is done like several episodes prior in in a a completely innocuous way. And it just, I think like a show like this, which is so clearly designed for kids doesn't need to do it that way. But I, I do really respect just how forward-thinking a lot of the storytelling ways, just in, in very unshowy ways. Yeah, this is definitely something where I, I feel like, you know, my first viewing was a little rocky. There there are just a lot of things that that graded me going through it, but I, I think I'm going to benefit a lot from a second viewing, knowing where the series heads. Yeah, so uh, and also no- another really cool scene that just made me love Eager so much more is uh, where the... There, um, we're in Eager's room, and Tam kind of just storms in, and she's angry about something else Kaz did, which I think, which kind of shows pretty kind of a cool thing about her relationship with him, where they they have a very close working relationship and they have a lot of trust. And this line is, you know, give the kid a break. I gave you one, which again, like, just kind of goes back to their history. Like, I, I, I you know, I, I would, I, I would love to kind of see how uh, you know Tam and uh. Eager got together because I just like like the the characters they feel real they feel very lived in, and like the, just the dynamics are feel very authentic. Yeah, something that I do appreciate is that the Colossus itself has a very genuine sense of history. Like anytime we're hearing about like the idea of getting thrown over for backing out, um, agreeing to a race is final. Um, just the the adoration that the different racers have, like it whenever we're hearing new information, it doesn't feel like this new information was invented for this episode. It just feels like we're kind of constantly like getting little glimpses of, of things that are, are definitely already established. And the, the, the bit after, um, you know, when Kaz goes and just j- jumps onto uh, Rockland's speeder and yanks him out of the thing. And 
after they eject, he's like, where's the parachute? Oh, it was too heavy. And BB-8 saves them. And then Yugo comes and helps pulls them up. He's like, hey, thank you, Yugo. Don't forget to thank BB-8. He just kind of walks away. He's like, so done with him. And then this is a really nice scene between them towards the end um, where he goes, you know, Yeager, I completely understand if you want to fire me. Get back to work. And he just walks away. Um, and a really nice line. You, know, you may not be a great mechanic and you're a questionable spy at best, but you're a good person, Kaz. So I'm good at being a person. Yeah. Now get better at being a mechanic. <laughs> He's just like that. That's just the way he talks all the time. I, I, I love him. Yeah, that's just the nice touch of leaving the engine, like just quietly leaving the engine parts outside so Kaz could watch the race like he wanted while he works. <laughs> and of course, they, they fall off the side again, which is a nice, you know, recurring gag. The scene where they go out on their speeders, um, that's another scene where I really like the visuals. Uh, yeah, it actually feels dangerous, that sense of speed and when his, you know, his speeder just starts jerking around it. It's actually kind of scary. Yeah, when like when he has to jump between the two, I'm like, this surprisingly doesn't feel hokey. This actually feels that kind of that sense of of danger, uh, and that's something that I feel like this season does really well. Is the like the Colossus is presented as like this kind of somewhat safe place, but like crashing outside of it, falling over. Like there is that sense of like this is the this is where the danger lies here mm-hmm. is out in the water. So the next episode is the High Tower. Uh, here, Captain Doza's fuel rationing forces Kaz and the rest of Yeager's team down to Aunt Z's cafe, where Kaz meets Hype Faison. Uh, Hype reveals that the First Order is bringing fuel to the Colossus, and Kaz runs outside to watch the First Order's ship as it comes in. Hype invites Tam, Kaz, and BB-8 to visit the High Tower, and Kaz excitedly agrees, hoping to find out what the First Order is doing on the platform. Using a comlink, he is able to listen on to Major Von Reg's meeting with Doza and discovers the First Order is offering protection from the pirates in exchange for control of the station. However, as he leaves, Von Reg discovers Kaz's actions. After a daring chase and an encounter with Doza's daughter, Tora, Kaz eventually ends up back at Yigo's shop, but not before Doza begins to suspect him as a spy. Um, as interesting thing, th- this episode was written by Stephanie Falsam, who's like a kind of a big up-and-coming writer. Uh, we mentioned her... Br- Earlier on the our Thor Ragnarok on our Thor Ragnarok episode, uh, she was one of the writers on that movie who wasn't credited, and she was, you know, apparently very unhappy about that. But also, uh, she was a writer on Toy Story Four, and she's going to be writing on the uh, new Lord of the Rings Amazon TV series. So, oh wow, yeah, uh, this this was kind of like you know, the the you know, the, the haves and the haves nots and the you know, the one percent living in the high tower, where kind of everyone's jealous of them, like as the, their power outages in the slums, but they still have power. They, they got the best food up there. It's, it was kind of, kind of, you know, highlighting that the part where every, everyone in the Colossus kind of that that's their goal. That's where they want to get to. They, either they want to get off the Colossus, but most of them don't. Most of them, this is home, but they all want to get into the tower kind of thing. And another little interesting bit of history is that, uh, you know, Tam and hype were friends. Uh, like apparently they they were both kind of, you know, nobodies at one point, but then he was able to, you know, get his foot in and become an ace and, and he, uh, at least in in her view, he left her behind. And this is kind of an interesting thing. I I I think it was just kind of a good setup for Tam, where you don't know how much of his abandonment of her is kind of in her own head, and maybe you know when when he became you know he hit a big, maybe she herself withdrew. But she's you know obviously very bitter about it, which kind of kind of leads to make into sense of of the way she viewed uh you know Kaz and Yeager's betrayal of her in the finale, kind of where. She uh, seems to have just some level of chip on her shoulder uh, about, you know, 
you know, not be, when, when, Tron, when friends, you know, turn out to be untrustworthy, whether it's real or imaginary. Yeah, there's some sense of entitlement with the character. And I like that the, the show doesn't play it completely one-sided or not. Like, it, it's not as if there's no reason for her to feel entitled to something because of all of the work that she's put in. But at the same time, I, I do think that the series gives credibility to Hype's like version of the events where like it wasn't this abandonment and i think uh, i think they do that by presenting him still as a likable character you know like as a sort of as a season well sort of but that, as a season this is just one likable scene in the show well yeah but he i i feel like even whenever he can be annoying he's never vilified oh, yeah. i don't think and so i think by presenting him that way i do think we're meant to question um to some extent, uh, Tam's, you know, memory of, of the event and, and how it actually happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and they, they, I don't, I don't remember if we ever reveal why hype doesn't like the first order, but I think it's a cool touch, but uh, yeah, as far as hype, I really don't like him. Like just the way he's characterized, char characterized, um, he's just a total blowhard. I, like is Donald Faison like a, famous actor like there's some kind of like cult following around him uh his big thing was uh he was in scrubs and uh i don't know too much about what like scrubs itself has a a, a big following and he was definitely a favorite on that show i'm not sure of what all he's been involved in outside of that like i know he was in remember the titans but yeah um, okay he definitely still just seems to be remembered from uh from scrubs and I, I like his character there a lot, and I actually don't mind hype too much. It's kind of how I am with a lot of like the side characters on the show. I'm like, in smaller doses, I find something like fairly likable about them, mm -hmm. and then any time the show concentrates too much about any one particular character, I'm like, okay, all right, move on. Have you seen the fifth the fifth element? I have not. Okay. <laughs> Aspects of him remind me of Chris Tucker's character. Uh, from that movie, which could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing. Uh, yeah, overall, the, uh, not a huge amount happens. Uh, I think just the the whole interaction between uh, Captain Dozer and the first and Captain Dozer is another character that I kind of like, where he doesn't he's he's, he's very much you know, about protecting you know what's his you know his you know his, his station his family, but he doesn't seem to really be all that interest you know interested in helping the outside world. Um, he just seems to be kind of a a stoic but you know generally honorable guy um and you have like doza threatening to report uh uh von Reck to the republic but then von Reck threatens to expose his dealings to the black market and like there's like doza knows what's going on he complete he doesn't he doesn't buy anything any of the first orders office for protection at first face value but he's also very aware of the positions in that like if the first order wanted it they could march in so he's just kind of just sort of trying to play along the edge of maintaining control while also not making them an enemy, which is pretty cool. Another scene I really enjoy is after Kaz is, is uh, spotted and he's like climbing along the outside of the high tower and then someone in the bar spots him and they're all like no, taking bets, take bets as to whether or not he's going to fall or get eaten by a fish. Yeah, that scene, having just binged um, Jedi Fallen Order, that scene really gave me... Uh, 
Fallen Order vibes of just like running across the platforms. And I like those kinds of chase scenes are always fun. And it's made all the better by the fact that I, I ended up really liking this animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a that's a fun sequence to me. Um, one other cool uh, tidbit was that uh, Matthew Wood uh, voices Doza's security droids. And he is the voice of all the battle droids in the Clone Wars and Rebel series, as well as the uh, the voice of General Grievous in the shows and movies. Um, also, also, he's like the head sound designer, um, like who pretty much I think took over from Ben Burt for the, the Star Wars films. Just a nobody. Um, anything else you want to talk about this episode? Uh, I think the the last thing um, that I do like about this episode is uh, is going back to something that I've said. I think the show does fairly well is is the sense of world building. Like I like getting up to the high tower and seeing this place that everyone else is, you know, trying to reach. Um, also. Um, it did like the react the interactions up there did kind of give me um canto bite vibes of just like kaz Mm -hmm. is you know finn in the moment you've got the other person like oh kind of rolling their eyes at everything i want to put my fist to this whole lousy beautiful tower and i I don't even hate canto bite anymore like i mean there's i have plenty of issues there but i find myself having an increasing amount of fun during that sequence so uh i didn't mind it here either also i like tora like She's obviously you know very pampered, kind of spoiled, but I, I think she's a very likable character. Yeah. She's you know, very kind of spunky. Yeah, she's a fun character. She's a character that I'm surprised I haven't been annoyed with. Like just with that very bubbly kind of character, I I never really find her too grating. Um, like I like that there's this kind of realization, or there's this awareness that she has of, of what she's been given, but she's still like, she still wants to have that level of proof that you know she has her own merit and her own skill and stuff mm-hmm. but it's it never comes across as like just like oh you have no idea what i'm capable of kind of she's just a fun personality to me uh, the, the first scene when he bumbles into her was like kaz i'm afraid you've mistaken my friendliness for something else yeah uh all right so next episode is the children from tahar this is uh, directed by saul ruiz and written by paul giacapo so Kaz accidentally breaks an expensive compensator on the fireball, and a furious Tam informs him that he'll have to replace it. In order to drop some quick cash, Kaz decides to try and find two lost children to claim the reward that has been offered for finding them. He runs into them in the market, and a chase ensues, but they escape, although the girl injures her leg. Um, and while searching, while, while continuing his search for the children, Niku introduces Kaz to his friends, the Cheladai, uh, turtle-like folk who work in the bowels of the Colossus on all the, and keep all the machinery running. They are then uh, summoned to Captain Doza's office. Uh, Doza questions Kaz about his search. After they leave, he meets with Commander Pyre of the First Order, um, who are the ones who have put the bounty on the kids. Um, they claim that the kids are the missing offspring of important of an important family in the First Order, and uh, pa- Doza informs Pyre that the children are on the station. Uh, later, Kaz finds the kids with the Cheladai, uh, but then we learn that their names are Kel and Ayla, and that their planet was scourged by Kylo Ren and the First Order. Kaz and Kel go to find some medicine for Ayla's injured leg, but then are spotted by Com- Commander Pyre and his stormtroopers. Uh, they're chased to the lower levels, uh, where the Cheladai help them fool Pyre into thinking that, that the children jumped into the ocean and were drowned. And after Pyre leaves, Ch- the Cheladai agree to let the kids stay and, t- uh, and to take care of them. And they also fix Tam's broken cap- uh, compensator for Kaz. Um, he then radios the resistance and informs them of everything that's happened. Um, and Cheladai is just a fun word to say. Um, I do like that Niku is just friends with everyone. 
and that these just weird, super slow turtle folk he, are just his best friends, and he 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 knows all their names in their own language. It's he's just adorable. Yeah, and I I actually really like the Chelidai themselves here. Like I think their design is pretty cool, and I like the idea of this this race just kind of living underneath everything uh, on the Colossus. Mm-hmm. And they're voiced by a kind of legendary voice actor, Frank Welker. Who's like the voice of like the original Scooby Doo and like Megatron uh-huh. and many many other other things? He he voices them all. So yeah, th- th- this one's pretty cool. Just the idea of like of just somewhere that Kylo Ren and the First Order completely wiped out, and they're hunting down the last two survivors, um, is a rather just dark <laughs> dark idea for such a friendly show. Yeah, that that was something that I really liked. Um about this one is like for the first time you're really feeling a sense of of stakes and of of external danger you know like we, we talked about you know some of the the flying scenes that there there seems to be some sort of you know sense of weight and speed and crashes mean things but here this actually feels like the plot itself is starting to have some sense of weight and stakes and, and you know we're actually here for a reason and there are there are consequences and stuff and uh you know, having these kids here is kind of that visual um, way of of conveying, you know, what the First Order is actually capable of. They actually start to feel more like a threat. Yeah. And that, that, that first scene was like one of my worst fears when I had that job I was talking about, where just kind of a Cass's clumsiness and some poor communication, like, we're, we're supposed to turn it cl- counterclockwise, right? <laughs> and and we're, it's not just like him being stupid. It's like an actual honest mistake. <laughs> Tam is just chasing him around the shop, throwing tools at him. Uh, this is a really funny scene. Uh, <laughs> or when he goes to Anzi's bar and he's like, and he like he gives her something like, I'm on a budget. And then like he takes a sip and then she grabs the cup and goes, your budget ran out two sips ago. <laughs> Niku's line of, you are not a bounty hunter. I have seen bounty hunters, and you are not one of them. Um, and apparently, uh, according to like some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, the blue bacon that the children are stealing is actually puffer pig bacon. So mm. those annoying animals from that uh, Rebels episode died. Annoying like animals. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and the, the, then the, uh, the resistance pilot uh, that he reports to is one of the guys that dies in the force awakens on the attack on, on Starkiller base. Oh, wow. Nice. No, I, I like the, I like the conclusion to it. I like the idea of the, the turtles slowing their, you know, their life signs and letting the kids escape. Like that was a cool little way to tie mm-hmm. them. And I, I also like the fact that this sets up the kids to be recurring characters throughout. Like we just kind of check back in at various points with them. It's kind of neat to me. Yeah. So the next episode is signal from sector six. With the approval of Yeager, Kaz takes leave on a starfighter training exercise with Poe. During the training exercise, the two receive a distress signal from a damaged si- uh, ship, which had been attacked by pirates. While searching the ship for survivors, Kaz and Poe, along with their droids BB-8 and CB-23, are attacked by several Kowakian monkey lizards and a large Kowakian ape lizard, the cousin of the smaller creatures. The two Resistance pilots also rescue a morale a Miriolan crew member named Sonara San, whom they bring back to the Colossus with the reluctant permission of Yeager. Unknown to the others, Sonara is part of Kragengor's pirate gang and becomes their undercover operative on the Colossus. This episode has more Poe, therefore it is better. Like, 
this show is substantially more enjoyable to me whenever like Poe is just like confidently walking around doing something like ah I like this guy yeah um oh we forgot to mention that BB-8 stayed behind with Kaz so he's he's up kind of Kaz's body for like the first half of the show and that was a weird move like I was kind of surprised especially considering they do give him CB-23 I was kind of surprised they didn't use uh that droid more um to try to endear us to her my guess was simply just hey kids remember bb8 that's him you know for the first half of the season just to get just just as something for kids to recognize because this show is so disconnected from the rest of star wars that would be my guess yeah uh <laughs> i do like the, the, the kind of the romance going on between bb8 <laughs> and cb23 in the background and then uh this little moments like uh kaz and poe just going for a joy ride while flying because Kaz hasn't been able to fly in so long as he's, uh, you know, getting pumped speed. And then they get to the ship and the, the monkey lizards come out. Uh, this is like the one time Poe loses his cool in the entire show. It's like, quacky monkey lizards, biggest pain in the side of the galaxy. I hate those things. Hate them. <laughs> and then later I was like, I hate monkeys. I hate them so much. That, that delivery, like I paused it and rewound it. There's something about his delivery on that second line that just killed me. I hate monkeys. I hate them so much. So <laughs> moment, like, and the monkeys just like come in there, just they're really going at, they're really mean, just crawling over cats. <laughs> when Poe fires his gun at the ceiling, and the monkey the, falls. They just like the, they're able to the animate the the monkey lizards like really well. Like I'm like, yeah, this is what they should look like. There's still those freaky little things. And then there's a giant monkey lizard, uh, which that's the thing now. <laughs> They rescue uh, Sonara, uh, who they find injured in a crate. They bring her back to uh, the shuttle where Yeager is. And like, what is it with you, Poe? Always bringing home strays. <laughs> He's very unhappy that they brought in yet another person for him to look after. Um, <laughs> the great moment is when, uh, after uh, Sonara wakes up, and I love that she punches Kaz the first moment she sees him. Um, He's like, you know, Yeager and I volunteered to bring you in. And then Yeager up in the pilot seat. No, I didn't. <laughs> And then the revelation that she's actually one of Kraken's pirates, I thought was just a really cool thing to end on. Yeah. Just kind of another complication for that. And she's a character that I really like. I think they use her very well over the series. So next episode is Sonara's score, directed by Bosco NG and written by Gavin Hignite. So the guns of the Colossus are down and Yeager's shop is responsible to repair them. To make matters worse, all the aces are out on an escort mission, and that means the Colossus is vulnerable to pirate raids. Kaz goes to Sonara, who is working as a salvager on the Colossus now, to find an important uh, chip to repair uh, the targeting computer. Um, She finds one for them, but suspects the truth of why they need it. She investigates their shop, uh, and Tam takes her out to lunch to hide the computer from her. And they actually strike up an unlikely bond. Uh, But Sonara still puts two and two together and informs Kraken that the Colossus is defenseless. Soon the pirates attack, causing all manner of mayhem, and Kaz and Yeager go to install the computer while Tam runs down to salvage uh, where the action is thick to make sure Sonara is safe. Um, Kaz and Yeager battle, battle several several pirates, including uh, Kragen himself, before they get the tracker installed, and the guns drive the pirates away. Um, Sonara is obviously moved that T- Tam risks herself to help her, but, does, but still doesn't reveal her true identity. In the high tower, Doza, disturbed by the damage caused, contacts the First Order to tell them that he accepts the proposal for protection. And one thing I like about this show is just the way it kind of gets into the nitty gritty of, you know, keeping this old station going and just the way things break down. And that now that you know they they have to fix the targeting computer, it's just like the, the kind of day to day realities of this station. I think are really well portrayed. Yeah, I, it feels 
you know, and it, this has to do, you know, with the this world building, the sense of history, but the place feels like a genuine lived-in location in that way, where, like, you, you do have to keep it up and running, and, and they integrate that idea into the conflicts uh, in, you know, fairly well ways. And another kind of implied history is, uh, it seems like Yeager's shop is kind of the go-to where Doza, you know, Doza, that Doza relies on. Uh, they seem to have kind of an old friendship going on as well. Yeah, and that's that's something that I like that gets explored even more um, during the finale is this idea of there's like there's a sense of mutual respect that exists between the two, and it's never really out in the open. Uh, it's kind of to me at least it, it just feels implied based on you know any time it's not often, but any time they're together, there's any sort of interaction. There feels like there's an acknowledgement that. There's just a lot of strange characters on this place, and they're two guys who seem to have their heads on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing I really like about this episode is we get more, a bit more about Tam, where she kind of she takes Sonara out to lunch just to get her out of the shop, but then they actually have a really cool conversation, and we learn a lot about her. She was like a traveling racer's daughter, and then she lost her ship after a race and now is stuck on the Colossus, you know, doing her best to try and get a new one to you know continue her life. Uh, it, it's, I like that we can we can we can have you know connections between two different characters that you know it's it's the entire show isn't just about Kaz like there are there are other completely independent friendships and relationships happening around him. <laughs> the line would uh, usually go, Tam, where on Castellan are you? I expect Kaz to be goofing off, but not you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like this opportunity uh, to introduce a character that Tam can interact with who isn't. Like the socially oblivious Niku, or just the complete klutz that is Kaz. Like it's fun to see her get to interact with other people, and and I, I think not that I was even having an issue with the character at this point, but I do like those opportunities to make them more likable and and human and and well rounded and stuff. Like seeing these, seeing her actually have fun was actually kind of nice. Yeah, I think the pirate attack itself is pretty fun. Like really big kind of broad action and. Tam gets to you know, take out some people, uh, and Alex, uh, this is scene where Sonara knocks out a pirate to keep him from saying her name when Tam is there. Just the whole thing where they're, they're like riding on the forklift and ships are coming after them, and people are, like jumping on, and Yeager's trying to drive the forklift, and he's like kicking people off. It's it's a big fun kind of fight scene, and uh, Kaz actually does really well here. Um, you know, he's you know, he, I think he probably trips around a couple times, but overall, you know, he's. He like when when it comes down to it, when the action happens, you know he always will jump in and do what needs to be done. And that's the thing that I, even when he's at his most annoying, I can always appreciate about his character. Yeah, and then of course we end with uh, Doze accepting the first order's offer, which has big implications for the rest of the show. Yeah, I do like that. This feels to be like where the line gets drawn in the show. Uh, it finds a bit more momentum from this point on. Next episode is uh, the Platform Classic. Uh, in an attempt to boost the Colossus economy, Captain Doza invites Yeager's estranged younger brother and renowned racer Marcus Speedstar to the Platform Classic. That's not his real name, is it? Couldn't be. Uh, well, we're also in a series with Skywalker as, as last names. <laughs> um, still bitter at Marcus for causing the deaths of his wife and daughter during a race accident ten years ago, Yuga refuses to speak with Marcus despite uh, the high life um, or sorry despite the high life Marcus struggles with paying his debts to the Guavian death gang who kidnap his mechanic Oplock. 
Yeager's attempt to force Marcus to pull out of the race backfires, and Yeager is compelled to participate in the Platform Classic. At the urging of both Marcus and Kaz, Yeager decides to forgive his younger brother and allows Marcus to win the race. After paying um, Marcus's debts to the Guavians and freeing Oplock, the two brothers reconcile before parting ways. I really like this episode. Um, like in many ways, it feels like a sequel to uh, Fuel for the Fire, where a lot of the stuff comes back. Like in that this that episode where we learned that uh, Yeager was a racer and he, that he has this hidden racer, the you know, the Corellian hyperfuel thing comes back. Um, I'm assuming it's coaxium, but they never I don't think they ever call it that. Like kind of the the the, the, the notion of like that's what happened with his younger brother. He tried to cheat to beat him because of their you know their sibling rivalry, and apparently what the crash that happened that killed his wife and daughter, which like that that's some serious drama there. <laughs> and, and I like the way the information is kind of doled out throughout the episode where just at the opening, we don't really know what happened, and all we know is that Yeager just absolutely hates his brother's guts. And it's like the kind of the information is like slowly given out throughout the episode. Um and uh, I think like Mar- Marcus is actually just a, a fairly likable character. He's obviously kind of an idiot, and, you know, doesn't know when to stop. But I like that he 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 is pretty likable. You know, he he has a very good relationship with with uh, his mechanic Oplock. Um, the bringing back the, the Guavian Death Gang from the Force Awakens is pretty cool. Uh, unfortunately, no Scottish dude at their mm-hmm. head. No which, signs of Conja Club. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But overall, I think just the way I think the relationship between Yeager. And Marcus kind of plays out over the episode where I, I, I like that, you know, it is, it's not all resolved at the end and it takes a long time, you know, for him even to give his brother the time of day. There's obviously, you know, just, there's a, a lot of baggage there. It's honestly, you know, I don't want to know. It's just more of the same for me. Like where there, there's so much history of apparently, you know, Marcus has probably been doing this a lot and no doubt, like when they were, they were still friends. I, you know, uh, Yeager probably had to stick his neck out to, to get him out of trouble more than once. Um, this lines are like, you know, Kaz says, you, f- you should forgive him. He's like, you don't know what you're asking, Kaz. Um, it's just, there's a, there's just, there's the, the way they portray just the kind of, that kind of family strain, just of a, of a broken family with all that history that we don't actually know about. You know, it's obvious, you know, it's, it's filtered through a children's show, but it, it felt pretty authentic. Like, it didn't feel like they were giving easy answers. Yeah, something that I actually liked about this is I, I feel like the vague way we're kind of dancing around the the death of his his wife and kids is due probably to constraints like with Disney XD and everything, but I think they actually handle that constraint in a in a pretty smart way. They, they use it for storytelling and and the very yeah. limited information and the way we slowly pull it back. And it's never like I don't think it's ever openly said. It's just things are said. And but you wouldn't. Applied. You wouldn't want to say that out loud. Yeah, exactly. And so it's made like it feels like it's taking these restrictions and then folding them into the narrative in a way that like it actually makes sense. And I don't like unless you're just actively thinking about you know the the restraints that come with this kind of TV. You know, you might not even really question. You're like, oh, that was a, you know that was a cool way that they kind of you know built up to this reveal. Um, and so I, I think that is, you know, uh, a good way to write around restriction. Yeah. And having done a lot of the setup, you know, telling us you got a family, telling us about, you know, 
racers cheating with Corelli and Hyperfuel. It all like like a, a lot of the heavy lifting was already done, so they could just kind of glide through the story. I think the final racing sequence it's a cool racing sequence, but I think the drama, the way the drama is intertwined, is really well done. The notion of going through the ion ring way up in the atmosphere, then having to gl- re-entry looks so cool. Yes. Yeah, just the visuals of space and the, the the heat on the wings, and then having to glide through the radiation hoop, or else they're gonna crash. Like it's like just if this were just a race, I think it would be a really good scene. But the way we have, um, you know, Marcus and Kaz kind of pleading with Yeager throughout the entire race until f- I think the voice acting is really good from from uh, from all the actors. Uh, and then you know, Yeager finally lets him away, like not even for his own sake, but just you know just because he doesn't want o- Opalock to get hurt or Oplock. Op- to get hurt, I'm saying, Op- I'm saying Opalock, but because of a Trent Opalock, the uh, Russo's DP. Like <laughs> I, I keep getting that name mixed up with this guy. Yeah, and, and just the ending where that line you know, where Mark says, "Are we good? No, but we will be one day." But but it's be- then he's like, "Well, that's better than where we were." And just I really I like love that. that. Yeah, I think it's just a, a great little line that shows that you know <laughs> there's still there's still a lot of pain there. Um, but you know, maybe they can be better at some point. I I think I one of the things that I really appreciate about this episode is because it's so eager focused. It was nice to have an episode that that didn't have as much um, just like slapstick and side character humor and stuff. Like there's a bit of it, but it it feels a lot more focused on on the the kind of uh, stories that I like more. Next episode is Secrets and Holograms. It's directed by Saul Ruiz and written by Stephanie Folsom. Toradoza is frustrated at being kept alone in the high tower by a father with only hollow games to play. She complains to Captain Doza, but he insists it's for her own safety because the First Order is going to be visiting. Tora manages to sneak out and bumps into Kaz, who is also trying to sneak in to get any any information about about Doza's dealing with the First Order. Um, Seeing the First Order arrive, Kaz suggests they go play hollow games in her quarters at the high tower. Pyra arrives with the First Order's offer on a data pad, and so after hanging out with Tora, Kaz sneaks into Doza's office to copy uh, the contents of the data pad. He is spotted by Rucklin, who tells Doza, but Kaz hides in a closet that reveals an old Imperial uniform of Doza's. On his way out, he runs into Tora, who is suspicious, but helps him escape the tower through a trash incinerator. She asks Kaz what he's doing, but he avoids the question, leaving her even more suspicious. This is a bit more of a, this is a, a bit lighter, more uh, Tora-focused, and uh, you know, she's a fun character. I think her and Kaz get along very well. And I like that, we, that it, now we have these... Uh, canonical star wars video games <laughs> or, or uh, hollow games as they say and she's got a hideous beast called buggle is it just me or is that uh, that creature's face absolutely horrifying i don't know if i'd say horrifying it's not pleasant <laughs> it's like this weird gargoyle's face stuck onto a dog's body with like bird legs it's it's wrong <laughs> and this is it's kind of interesting like just kind of the, the weird position Tora is in you know being you know, she has all this privilege, but also kind of being trapped within it. And then the scene where she gets out and then everyone sees her and everyone kind of swarms like they're wanting to know all the information about her father's dealing. It was a pretty cool scene where just she doesn't she she doesn't know she's not in the, in the loop. But because she's a doza, everyone's going to blame her for the problems in the station. <laughs> I like that Rucklin is uh, working as a, a server in the Aces Lounge. <laughs> yeah. Now that he lost his racer. I, I do think it's a it's another one where I'm not. I'm not too much too bothered by anything going on in it. I think his I think his relationship with Tora is actually one of my like of all of the different dynamics. It's one of the ones that I actually like the most. Um, 
I, they just have like fun, playful banter, and because he's because he has a, uh, his crush on um, Sonora, that's never that that never ends up being this kind of unno- annoying thing that comes up between their relationship. They're just kind of able to have you know these lighter, fun episodes together without any of this kind of uh oh, will they, won't they? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean it's a fun episode. And another element of Tabatora that I like is I think she has a really good relationship with Captain Doza, her father. Like, even though she's incredibly frustrated with, you know, the life she's being forced to lead, it never kind of breaks into hostility between them. Yeah. Like, we never have to suffer through this whole, like, I'm going to rebel kind of thing. And Yeah. They're really nice together. So the next episode is Station Theta Black. Uh, Kaz borrows the fireball in order to rendezvous with Poe and the Resistance. However, Tam had not finished installing the stabilizer and Kaz loses control of the ship. He's rescued by Resistance CR-90 Corvette. Uh, General Organa assigns Poe and Kaz to scout a possible First Order flight path. Traveling to the coordinates, they discover Station Theta Black, a First Order asteroid mining facility. Their presence attracts the attention of Captain Phasma and Major Von Reg, who lead a contingent to destroy the station, wiping out evidence of its existence. Following a pursuit, Kaz and Poe manage to escape the Doom Station. Back at base, Kaz, Poe, and Leia agree that a war is looming. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I really like the first scene uh, where Yeager's uh, talking to um, to Bucket, who's, who's, a, who's actually a fun droid, like a, I think a better version, the superior uh, chopper. Oh, no, a, get out of here with that talk. Get out of here with that uh, Like, you know, well, I'm sure she'll find out in three, two, one. And and she like stalks through the door, Yeager. We actually find out you know, it actually wasn't repaired. This is a good bit of banter between them, and then uh, we actually. This is where we actually hear Leia. We actually, you know, see see Leia, and she actually speaks for the first time. And uh, she speaks in the first episode. No, I, no we, we I think we we just see her. Like oh, Kaz oh, kind of oh. stumbles through the door, and she just kind of looks at him. Poe kind of manhandles him out. For some reason, I was thinking we heard her. Yeah, the voice actor for, for in the season one is uh, Rachel uh, Butera, and I think she does a really good impersonation of uh, Leia, and just her kind of. You know, kind of slightly raspy voice and the her cadence. I think she does really well. The, the interaction, actually, really good setup for uh, the Last Jedi. Was like, do not engage. Yeah. She just gets in Poe's face. Am I clear? You know me. I'm not one to engage unless provoked. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's the thing. Like with just his super calm, relaxed, confident demeanor, and uh, and then when you, like little things like this, they they really are kind of like setting him up to be the character that we see w- with the problems that we see in those movies. Yeah, they they land on the station uh, with this really cool kind of it's like an asteroid with a station inside of it. It's a really cool uh, kind of design. Yeah, I really really like the design of the the hollowed out asteroid. And just again, the, the interactions between Kaz and and Poe, just the way Poe's like. He'll figure it out. He'll be fine. You know, I'll give him a gun. Don't worry about it. He'll figure it out kind of thing. And they, they run into the droid, which, you know, causes the alarm. And Phasma and Von Reg show up um, <laughs> to uh, demolish the thing. And so, like, I guess the, the kind of story of this episode is that they find out that the station is a first order mining station for Deadlinite, which is, I guess, a mineral that's used in um, in making blasters. And I don't know if that's interesting for other people, but so many of like there's many many of the star wars canon novels are about or at least tangentially about the empire's uh like mining operations and just 
and the way the empire just would strip planets for their minerals and how they, you know, all the, the way they had to, you know, to, the way they would get the uh, raw materials to the Death Star while keeping it secret from the rest of the, the galaxy. And like, how else are you going to create that fleet of flying Death Stars? Yeah, like, like the logi- like the logistics of the Empire and, and the damage it would cause to the galaxy was, is a big part of a lot of the books. So kind of getting you seeing a mining station was a kind of a – it made this show feel very much in line with the rest of the, of the kind of the Star Wars canon. And actually we have a, a cool scene where – Kaz actually saves Poe by like taking down a walkway that the stormtroopers are kind of coming after him on. Then there's some fighting with a Von Reg, uh, which is always cool. His tie is awesome. The red, yeah, yeah. yeah his his suit, cool. his pilot's suit. Um, and then the the explosion. I think it was a really cool visual. Uh, the way- These animated shows always do really well with like big like space explosions. And like, the the actual worry and c- concern in Poe's in Poe <laughs> after he thinks that he might have lost Kaz. Where you know Kaz ducked behind the asteroid to avoid the explosion, and then the little touch at the end where where uh, Poe's like, "Yeah, I doubt the Senate will even care about this intel, but at least it's valuable for the Resistance." Kind of again hammering in the the uh, apathy of the Senate at this point in the, in the Republic. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really liked about this one is it reminded me of of other like episodes from Clone Wars and especially Rebels, where I, like I feel like there was a lot of of these like going to little isolated locations and having one-off episodes, retrieving something or, or seeing what the empire was up to. Um, and so to, to have an episode like this where it's, we're, we're going out, we're leaving the, the established base to have adventures out there. It's why I like the, the one with the monkey lizards as well. They're just, mm. they're, they're fun little like self-contained adventures. There's a common theme of Oscar Isaac in these episodes. Yeah. Um, so next episode is Bebo. That one. Uh, it's uh, directed by Bosco and GN, written by Paul Giacapo. Uh, while visiting Sonara and Salvage, Kaz and Niku, Niku run into some form of sea creature that Niku instantly falls in love with and adopts and gives it the name Bebo. Uh, much to the chagrin of everyone else in Igor's garage due to its smell and proclivity to wreak havoc. Bebo causes so much trouble that Yeager tells Niku that he must get rid of it, at which point Niku promptly quits. Meanwhile, Kaz and Sonara go on a salvage run and spot an enormous monster headed right for the Colossus. The creature attacks and the aces scramble to protect the station with Kaz joining him in the fireball. Uh, Niku realizes that the creature is actually Bebo's mother and returns him to her and the creature then returns to the depths. Uh, later, Kaz gets Niku a pet gourd to make up for the loss of Bebo, uh, Bebo, Bebo uh, which, pro- which Niku promptly eats. This is one of those kind of man- manufactured drama things that I, th- I think the show does a good job avoiding for the most of the time. I don't I don't like when they make characters idiots. And sure, Niku has always been kind of a weirdo, but uh, I just like making him instantly fall in love with the creature. And then you know, it keeps causing trouble. It's like, no, but I love it. And uh, I don't know, it's just kind of irritating for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page. This one was really... Like, I found myself just pretty consistently annoyed during this episode. Like, with him being like, if, if Bebo goes, then I'm going to have to leave. I'm like, isn't this... Wasn't it Niku who was the one who was talking about having a pet they ended up eating and it was deli- or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Lucky. I had a pet, it died. And then I ate it. And it was delicious. And then <laughs> like, I had severe... <laughs> it just... it He does not seem to be the character that would, like, just get attached in this way to something like Bebo. And 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's what you said. It's this manufactured, contrived kind of drama. Nothing, nothing too important happens in this episode. And um, there's a there's a line um, where Yeager, somebody asks him what we're gonna do, and he says, "I'm gonna tell you what we're not gonna do. Let anything hurt Niku's friend." And I'm like, ugh. The the one redeemable aspect about this drama, I think, is the, the kind of the loyalty of this crew. Like where Tam's like, we always help Kaz out, and he's done far crazier stuff than this. Like, where, like it's it's so over the top and ridiculous. But the, the fact that they kind of all feel super bad after he leaves and try to go out of their way to to help him, just you know, they don't they don't still don't like people, but at least they want to help their friend, kind of thing. Yeah, I think one, I just I, the line to me just reads silly. Like we're not gonna let anything mm-hmm. hurt Niku's friend. Like especially because it's just this little bitty animal thingy. And, and loyalty only goes so far, but at this point, they're genuinely risking like this big battle with a creature that could kill people on the Colossus just oh, yeah. so he can keep his little pet. I'm like, Niku, you're a horrible person. You're risking all <laughs> of these people's lives. Like for for me, the only thing that I find like super re- redeemable about this is the is the same thing that I really liked about the Zillow Beast episode. Is I, big monsters are fun, and yeah, and like this, I I really like. Um, the way that this like the attack is portrayed like there's cool shots of them flying around the tentacles and stuff it reminded um, me a lot of the uh, the the cra- the kraken attack in dead man's chest mm, I, the design itself reminded me a lot of the the kraken from the the clash of the titans oh yeah that too yeah the the, the actual like flying in around the tentacles the sense of scale and the the, the your giant kaiju monster attack is pretty cool um another cool thing was that we learned that uh, ayla is force sensitive, at least to a degree, where she has dreams about the future, and she's like, "Something is coming, something very big." Cast like, "Look, I have a huge problem with vagueness," <laughs> which is a lie I should take up in, in normal life. <laughs> yeah. So overall, the drama is super goofy, but there are well, the the actual monster attack I thought was pretty cool. Again, the, the water visuals are really amazing. Like the eyeball. Yeah, up against the yeah, that was cool. Uh, the next episode is Dangerous Business. Uh, as Kaz's mechanical skills improve, he secures a part-time job manning Orca and Flix's acquisition shop while they are away visiting what family. What could go wrong? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why do people keep trusting him? Uh, Kaz also has to babysit the duo's pet, Gorg Bitey, who has a propensity for biting. An alien customer named Taraj Key visits the acquisition shop Seeking a phase connector, Taraj lures Kaz into a trap inside a cargo container and attempts to throw into the sea. After stealing the phase connector, Taraj departs aboard a freighter with First Order stormtroopers. Kaz escapes the container and sabotages the freighter by getting Bitey to damage a power box, (laughs) causing it to crash into the ocean and denying Taraj and his First Order handlers access to the phase connector. Kaz, Kaz, Taraj, and the stormtroopers escape the freighter using escape pods. Um, we haven't mentioned before, but I think Flix and Orca are a lot of fun. They're, they are definitely like a, a a fun, like they're fun personalities. And I also just really like Jim Rash from Community. So hearing uh-huh. his voice in Star Wars is fun. It's like, where are you going? Oh, it's a long story with a tragic ending. <laughs> We're visiting my mother. I know we talked about manufactured drama, but I kind of like Bitey. I, th- I find the Gorg strangely adorable. And just the way he looks around with those big eyes just makes me crack up every time. I think it's, it's, it's the big eyes, the tiny legs or something. Yeah, it's it's definitely funny looking. And uh, like the clumsiness, again, usually gets me, but the way Kaz screams every time he bites his hand, 
is very funny to me for some reason. I did like the visuals of him leaving at the very end, like where he got him to bite on just so he wouldn't have to like hold on to him and it's just <laughs> running with him like pinched at his hand. Yeah. Yeah, so there's the guy who steals the, the thingamajig machine thingam or whatever, uh, which I think is it's, it's another uh, device that's used for mining, kind of going back to the, that previous episode. It's just the way Kaz is just like ta- just casually talking to Bitey and explaining his plan, <laughs> using it to bite through the wires, and he, I, I just like everything keeps happening to the creature, but he he's impossible to kill. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a, I think it's a fun episode. I think the, the visual of the uh, of the the cargo ship kind of crashing and falling out of the sky with the, the I did like that. That was black cool. smoke was really cool. Uh, but the shifting cargo. Like as it's going around, the stormtroopers are chasing him, and the the cargo's kind of flying around inside the the hangar bay. I was kind of like disappointed that Bitey survived. <laughs> <laughs> At least, not that it's not even because I I don't like Bitey. It's. I, I felt like that was at least an opportunity to have consequence, but it just it felt like everything kind of happened so easily. Or at least just like we've ejected, we've flown over a decent portion of this ocean, and Biden's just like peeking his head around, like there he is. Like <laughs> nothing I, bad happened. I like the gag of him being completely indestructible, though. Yeah, it, I mean it's def- it's funny. It's it's certainly not anything that like ruins anything, but <laughs> I just I felt like. Even at this point, there's just like there's not really a lot of consequence to anything going on, mm-hmm. but it's still fun. Another visual I like as ridiculous, as completely ridiculous as it is, as Bitey like biting through the wiring, is I do like the visual of like the just the electricity and everything there. Uh, it's another good like good example of like how cool the the lighting and shadow can be here with like all of that the blinking lights and everything. It, it looked cool. Um, next episode is The Dose of Dilemma, directed by Sergio Paez and written by Stephen Hignite. So the First Order is getting imp- impatient with the lack of progress in taking over the Colossus. They order Kragen to kidnap Tora to force her father to, to turn to the First Order for help. Kragen contacts Sonara to help sneak two pilots into the High Tower, but doesn't tell her what they plan to do. Uh, Sonara goes to hang out with Kaz, Tam, and Tora to get the codes for the doors in the tower. She feels guilty about using her new friends like this. Uh, later, Sonara sneaks two pirates in, but when she learns they intend to kidnap Tora, she goes for help and runs into Kaz. Kaz goes after the pirates who are escaping with Tora in tow. Uh, he chases them across the sea and back to their flagship, but is too well defended for him to help her. The First, first Order then arrives with Kraken's payment, but they betray the pirates and quote-unquote rescue Tora. Uh, they bring her back to the Colossus, and as they intended, Captain Doza finally agrees to allow them to protect the station. Um... <clears throat> In the end, we see that Kaz is suspicious that Sonara is a spy, but he doesn't confront her. Which is what confused me a little bit, because we ended the uh, uh, Sonara score episode with him contacting the first story saying, you know, he accepts their uh, yeah their offer. So I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on there. But that's it. I, I like everything else about this episode. <laughs> and we get the uh, return of one of my favorite words from Star Wars. You know, we can try out the new Drone Blaster game. It's so wizard. <laughs> I I really I loved hearing that. Anytime you have like little little words like that that come back, like it was the same feeling I had whenever Luke's like, "You think I'm just gonna walk out there with the laser sword?" Like uh, bits like that are great. And like I like the way that you know, Sonara has kind of been accepted into the you know the Tora Kaz Tam friend group. Oh, there's a cool line where uh, with the, the just 
Taurus just kind of talking to with all the pirate attacks. Father even thinks they may have spies stationed here. And like both Kaz <laughs> and Sonara kind of look up nervously. Uh, we haven't talked much about Pyre, but I, I, I think he's a really solid like secondary antagonist. Um, like first off, just the visual of the gold armor is really cool. And I think the voice actor, you know, is suitably creepy and, and threatening. But there's a moment here where uh, Tora does after, you know, the, Pyre and uh, Kraken have already hatched their plan. And Tora kind of walks in with Pyre and her father and Pyre just kind of stares at her as one of those moments where, the, where like a helmet is so expressive. Like, you know, you know uh, exactly what he's thinking, what he plans to do with her. It's, it's super creepy. Yeah. Cool. The cool thing is when the pirates sneak in, uh, they use a droid popper uh, from the Clone Wars to take down those <laughs> security droids, which I really like seeing. Um, and I like that Sonara, you know, she lets them in. She's feeling guilty about it, but she doesn't know why they're there. And when she learns that they're actually after one of uh, uh, someone who's actually a real friend to her now, she kind of turns on them and tries to save her. Yeah, I, I think an issue I had with the episode, though, and it, it's very similar to the one I had with Jace Rucklin, which is that sometimes the the way the conflict was presented, it felt as if it would work better for like a, just a much young, much younger characters. Like when, when uh-huh. she's invited to the friend group and everybody's being nice and she's just smiling. It, I, I don't know. It feels like this kind of teenager drama as opposed to, you know, like I'm assuming everybody here is like at least in their 20s and stuff. Well, I, I think the young, the I think Sonara probably is, but I think the, the younger ones are probably teens still. Wait, but, well, he's, uh, Kaz has to be, I'm assuming. I think least. he's canonically 16. He's 16. Oh, because I thought he had to be 18. Because maybe my problems are lesser if, if that is the case. So I don't know if we have a canonical age. Maybe maybe he's eighteen. Um, um, I guess like so he's born uh fourteen years after the Battle of Yavin. I guess if if we calculated how long it was, so uh, what, what? it's the Force Awakens is thirty years after the Battle of Yavin. So that be that that be sixteen. Yeah, so fourteen years after Yavin was, was born, and then uh, and then it's another however many years to the destruction of Hosnian Prime. So yeah, yeah, I guess sixteen. Oh, well, never mind then. Oh, and this is where we're introduced to Kraken's uh, flagship, which I think is amazing. This is this is what I was referring to when I was talking about the pirate ships earlier. I forgot that it wasn't introduced until here. But like, yeah, this the big like pirate ship looking thing with all of the colored flags. It looks super cool. Yeah, it's like a Captain Hook's ship from like Peter Pan, like the the flying floating ship visual. It's it's the way it kind of just comes out of the clouds. It really gave me like Miyazaki vibes of just like oh, really yeah. hodgepodge, almost like Howl's Moving Castle kind of a lot of color and moving pieces on it. It it just looks really neat. And then you know the the, the First Order betraying Kragen and and you know fake rescuing Tora to kind of force uh, Doze's hand. I think it was kind of a nice touch. It it really um it's you know it set the episode the, the season into high gear leading into the towards the finale where the main conflict of the show is you know completely cemented, um and I, I like what it does for Sonara I think, and Kaz actually gets to show like some rare intelligence where he pretty much knows that Sonara is a spy for the pirates, you know he counts her as a friend so he do, he's not like gonna go out and immediately denounce her so I th- like I, I just I just like the way they kind of slowly complicate the various relationships 
The next episode is the First Order Occupation. Um, following the kidnapping attempt against Tora, her father, Captain Doza, allows First Order Stormtroopers to patrol the Colossus. Yeager advises Kaz to keep a low profile. After Stormtroopers visit Yeager's repair, uh, repairs to question Kaz about Sonara, Kaz decides to help her escape the Colossus despite knowing her true identity as a pirate. Despite being pursued by Stormtroopers, Kaz manages to help Sonara escape in an underwater escape pod. Sonara reunites with Kragen's pirate gang, but her friendship with Kaz and Tam leads her to question her loyalty. The, th- the, thing, the thing that stuck out to me on rewatch was like, I felt that this episode was like when uh, Professor Umbridge took over Hogwarts. <laughs> like this usually very fun, lively place that's all about, you know, comfort. And, and now all of a sudden, like overnight, it becomes really oppressive and just the whole tone of the entire, just the entire atmosphere of the show just shifts immediately. I couldn't be that harsh to the first order to say something like that. <laughs> I'm slandering a uh, Uh Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, but I do love just how kind of dark and oppressive the show just kind of becomes overnight, and just the the it felt a lot like like oh, like not movies about World War II and Nazis and the Holocaust where. You have troopers wandering around, you know, demanding papers, and you know, the wanted person just tr- you know hiding and trying to avoid contact, and it's it's like legitimately creepy. I think like where they're just uh, like arresting a random uh, one of the guys. You know, you're loitering past curfew, and uh, like where they uh the 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 Rodian dude. I think where uh, they almost you know haul him off, you know, because he couldn't find his papers in time. Like it's 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 dark. Yeah, it really they really start to feel like they're they're acting as the empire that, you know, they're trying desperately to be, you know, carrying that kind of authority. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of the way the empire was portrayed in something like rebels. Yeah. Like, you know, Kaz is trying to contact their assistance, but the first orders closed down all communications. They've also cl- closed down pretty much you know, all transportation. So that he, he can't get Sonara out. Um, and just one of the things I like about Kaz is just his loyalty to his friends. He knows Sonara is a pirate spy, but, you know, she helped save Tora, so he's going to help her escape. Oh, and the, I think the worst thing that the First Order does is they steal uh, Opie Pitt's vibromop, uh, which is like kind of a, oh. a thing happening in the background. Of, where like he's he's just the janitor who's always working, and they steal his mop, and he kind of runs throughout the rest of the show the season. Well, like we see him in the background, like scrubbing the floors with a sponge. So pitiful. <laughs> yeah. The bastards. Yeah. That's a character where, like, whenever I first saw the design, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And then as it goes on, and he just kind of becomes a staple of just, you know, he's there. He's just mopping always in the background. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I kind of like him now. Yeah. And there's, like, absolutely nothing that's changed. I just, I've decided I like him now. And bringing back some uh, Hogwarts vibes, he's like Filch, just always grumbling in the background about something. Yeah, so uh, not a lot happens, but I, I think it's a, just a very kind of solid episode for just the the kind of the, the sense of danger it brings into the show and oh the visual of the underwater escape pod where it's oh, that's going cool. out and we, we go past Bebo's mother underwater it's just really beautiful looking a line that I uh, highlighted in my notes is whenever uh, uh, Tam finds out that Sonara left and is like actually affected by it that was something that actually endeared me even more to Tam as a character oh yeah like she didn't say goodbye I... to me yeah yeah like you really do feel the sense that, like, as far as everyone else was concerned, Sonara was 100% just, like, a part of the group at that point. Yeah. All right, so next episode is The New Trooper. It's directed by Stuart Lee and written by Paul Giacapo. 
After Sonara's escape, uh, Doza tries to get the First Order to reduce their presence at the Colossus, uh, but gets the expected results, which are nothing. Uh, meanwhile, Kel and Ala are spotted by a Stormtrooper while fishing. Uh, he attempts to arrest them, but they manage to knock him out and hide his unconscious body. They, re they recruit Kaz, Nico, and Tam to help with this dilemma. While they try to come up with a plan, Kaz decides to don the armor and check in uh, so that the other Stormtroopers won't come looking for their friend. He then uses the disguise to try and steal some First Order intel. Uh, he gets the inf info, but is discovered. Uh, he's able to escape and meet up with the others. They put the armor back on the unfortunate trooper uh, as the First Order catches up and they take him away for reprogramming. And uh, Kaz and Yeager, no, Kaz and Yeager examine the stolen intel and realize that the First Order intends to use the Colossus as a refueling station for a major offensive. I, I, I like the way we kind of cut back between like the ground level and then Doze in the like Doze in the high tower is trying to do his best to work again again with the the, the Hogwarts a lot where it's like a Dumbledore kind of trying trying to do his best you know in his office um, as uh, you know Harry is resisting underneath. When are you going to finish Harry Potter, dude? Uh, I need to. I've I got another chapter in at work the, uh, uh, two days ago. So uh, I'm I'm chipping away. I want to talk about it so bad. And I, I like here we, we get to see like various um, perspectives on the First Order's occupation where we have Tam, who is someone who never experienced the Empire. like Or, or her only experience of the Empire was kind of like, well, they gave my father a job and they, they helped fix our economy. And so, like she doesn't, she she doesn't fear the empire like everyone else does. Look around, it what? is chaos. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Herzog. Exactly, yeah. Like she, for her, pirates were attacking us. So yeah, the first order security, like, and which I feel it, it, it feels very realistic. Like the various perspectives people would have you depending on how they viewed the empire and you know how they view the first order. So they, like she's kind of like, yeah, everything is fine. We're all fine here. <laughs> Nico's line I too feel safer in a threatened by the military kind of way <laughs> that was another line that I'm like okay that one's funny yeah so like they, they, they have the trooper and I love how horrified Tam is like you like you've got a cop tied up in the basement like what are you doing and her first you know her first instinct is well we just turn ourselves in and you know the, if the first the first order is here to help us so you know, they'll work it out they'll understand um <laughs> the way Niku keeps knocking the stormtrooper out every time he wakes up. He's like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, allow me to help you go back to sleep again. <laughs> Knocks him out again. This one was fun. Like, I weirdly liked the undercover being stormtrooper episodes. Like, even when they, when Ezra did it in Rebels. Like, it's, it's fun having to try to pretend. And something that I liked was that idea uh, of reprogramming when they get out of line. Like, it kind of makes the stormtrooper life even darker. You know, knowing that, like, there are um, steps taken uh, to quell any sort of, like, that that level of, like, free thought or uh, or disagreement. Yeah, so, it's something that we, we, they were going to do to Finn where he, when they looked up, he was scheduled for reprogramming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the troops like, ah, time for a brain scrape. Like, <laughs> like, like this seems to happen a lot. And I do feel kind of bad for the trooper. Sure, he was—he's a bad guy. He was going to arrest children, uh, but he, he's just at the end. He's like all—he's just knocked around and shocked so much in that episode. Yeah, at the end, he's like all dazed. The lady, like, have you seen my green friend? He's such a nice guy. Um, and a uh, uh, cool note—he uh, is the trooper is voiced by Steve Blum, who's like a very famous voice actor in his own right. Uh, but he's best known to Star Wars for having voiced uh, Gary Zebarellius or Zeb 
in Rebels. Yeah, I think I called him Jason Bloom for some reason earlier, but yeah, Steve Bloom. So the next episode is the core problem. Uh, Kaz accompanies Poe on a mission to investigate First Order activity in the Dassault system within the Unknown Regions. Traveling there, they discover that the system's sun has vanished, several wrecked planetoids, and that the... Uh, yeah, several wrecked planetoids, and that the planet Nairava had been has been drilled through. Kaz and Poe encounter a First Order probe droid on an abandoned moon, whose population has been wiped out by the First Order. After escaping First Order Tie Fighters, Kaz and Poe part company with BB-8 accompanying Poe on a mission to Jakku. Returning with the astromech droid CB-23, Kaz's frequent trips off-world start to draw Tam's suspicion. Well, we get more Poe. Always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, he's like, oh no, you're not thinking of pulling a Widowmaker, are you? And Kaz's like, Widowmaker? <laughs> I'm not even married. <laughs> like, uh, Christopher Shaw, uh, like, he, he does, like, he, I think the, the character who's writing can be annoying, but I think he does a great job of making him likable, and he gives, you know, his really good line deliveries and stuff like that. And I, I, just the way they escape were, uh, they, they they have to sneak off the Colossus and they kind of drop on top of a freighter as it's pulling out and Poe is like standing on the wing with a face mask. They go to a system that's missing a star, which is really kind of a really ominous uh, side for people who've obviously seen Force Awakens. It should be here, but it isn't. Yeah. And the, the visuals of the moons that are just like kind of cracked open or the planet that's missing its core. Yeah. Um, which is honestly... Like, I love that we never find out exactly what that was. Like, were these, like, early prototypes for Starkiller Base? Or were they early, or maybe early targets? Like, it's just a, it's just a, a cool kind of world-building thing. Like, we only get the information that that our characters have. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of the way Rebels handed the, handled the Death Star, where, like, hey, we we show up and, like, something was being built here. Yeah. You know, something is being stripped from Jeddah and fueling something. But that show never, like, acknowledges it. Yeah, this is a cool thing where I feel like these – the shows like this, like, it might not mean much to you on your first view. Like, yeah, I know all this information, but it's kind of cool. I think, like, the, I think there's something very f- kind of forward, forward thinking about this. Like, with kids in the future, if this is their first kind of experience of Star Wars, like, when they go into The Force Awakens, like, other people's complaints about, like, I don't feel, I don't understand the state of the galaxy. I know where did all this stuff come from. Like, those complaints aren't even going to exist for kids, you know, 10 years from now. Yeah. Which I think is pretty cool. It just feels like one kind of growing story. Uh, I think a really cool sequence is where they're flying through the planet's core and you got the gravity wells and they're just kind of having to you know, figure out how to fly with it. And there's something I think that feels kind of new to this this show where just how physical it flying, you know, controlling the ship is where they got the where they have like the stick in the middle and like the thruster controls on the side with the other hand and like the constantly alternating between the, it, between the two. It actually it looks like it's something that takes practice and skill and work to do. Whereas like other, I think other other you know movies or shows might make make, make it look like really super easy. And I think here we actually get to see like you know the, the kind of the, the the skill it takes and you know why Kaz is actually special in that regard. I think that's something that Solo did really well. Yeah, and uh, having seen Rise of Skywalker, uh, the visual of them flying through the planet core reminds me a lot of uh, him trying to get into Exegol. Oh yeah, like where just the, the weird gravity and you, the ship is kind of having to fly with it. It's just a cool visual. Yeah. They they land on a deserted planet, which um I haven't noticed this myself, but other people say 
there's a, a symbol on one of the buildings in the deserted planet that matches a symbol that uh, Cal and Ayla have. Huh. Like, perhaps insinuated that this is their planet. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> and a great, another great, like, kind of Zen Poe moment where uh, he gives Poe a, a Kaz a blaster and then he trips in the background and it goes off. And he doesn't even look. He's like, be careful, Kaz. It just kind of keeps walking. I love that moment for Poe, but that's another moment where I'm like, dang it, stop tripping over everything. You could have <laughs> shot him. Yeah. But yeah, Poe is obviously always great. Um, and then there's a really cool new design of a First Order probe droid, which is, if possible, even scarier than the Imperial ones. Like, kids! It's got kids! <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. And of course, the, the First Order shows up, and then they, they, they use the currents of flying through the planet's core to, to take them out, which is a really cool touch, I thought. And then that, that final, the final scene where Tam is like really suspicious, and she asks Eager, but he kind of shuts her down, and you see just how unhappy and hurt she is that uh, being left out. You know, sh- she used to be Yiga's confidant, and now Cass is just completely taken in and like supplanted her that way. Yeah. Next episode is "The Disappeared." It's directed by Sergio Paez uh, and written by Stephen Melching. Um, at Aunt Z's cantina, stormtroopers attempt to put up a, a First Order recruitment hollow, but she refuses to have it in her place. Later, the First Order announces that all races have been canceled due to the security risks they present. Uh, much to the chagrin of all the aces, hype phase on in particular. He loses it when he finds uh, Stormtroopers putting a grounding boot on his racer. Uh, later, we back at Anzis, we learn that hype is missing, uh, but the First Order simply claim, uh, claims that he simply left the planet. Aunt Z blames the First Order, and troopers confront her, and she openly defies them. Kaz and Tora go to investigate what happened to hype, uh, and they see that his racer never left, and then they learn that Aunt Z has also vanished. They then go to Yeager and find him meeting with Captain Doza to discuss the First Order problem. Uh, Kaz and Dora then get their blessing to try and go save the captives before they are transported off-world. They attack the guards as the prisoners are led onto the shuttle, and after a short scrap, the prisoners take the shuttle for themselves and head out for safer harbors. Kaz then returns to Yeager's shop only to find himself and the rest of the crew under arrest for crimes against the First Order. Yeah, the, the, the noose is really tightening around our characters in this episode. Oh, there's a great line where um, after they order the race to stop and Doza's like, as long as I am in control of this platform, we will continue to race. And Pyre's like, of course, for now. Uh, he, he's so creepy. That reminded me of, a, of a Thor's line in Endgame. You know, of course, of course, of course. Of course. <laughs> oh, your favorite part. Say what? I said your favorite part. Oh, yeah, my favorite character from that movie. And it's just like Aunt Z, like she she's someone who remembers the Empire. She's like open, like I'm not gonna stand up for, I mean, I'm not gonna stand for this and like openly defying them, despite it being a very bad idea. Um, I love her, like you know, these these young people are too good for you anyway. Like you know, she she's always been kind of grumpy about them, but now that the sto- the uh, first order here, she's kind of being a uh, very protective over the kids, which is I thought was really cool. Yeah, I did like the the it kind of it felt like what we were talking about whenever the occupation first started happening, that you're actually feeling the weight of their presence. I think I, I almost wish that they played the first order as a little bit less overtly evil until like towards the end of the season. Uh-huh. Just like there's just so like if there was a mustache under Pyre's helmet, he'd be twirling uh-huh. it throughout the season. But just I, the, I, the way the stormtroopers glare at, at, at uh, aunt Z after she uh, refuses to have the hollow. Yeah. Like, it's just like, <laughs> I, because I, I agree that like 
it's believable that people like Tam would be defending him, but I think it'd be even more believable if if they presented themselves as benevolent as opposed to everybody just clearly walking around being evil. Oh yeah, the way Tam just kind of walks up to the first order like, well, what what happened? Where's our friend? And she kind of she you know immediately buys their uh, I like that she she buys their explanation because she already has this chip on her shoulder about hype. That he'll, you know, he's, yeah. he, he'll abandon you, you one time. So why would, why wouldn't he abandon this again? It's just the way that just, I love that people just disappear. We never see them arrest anybody. They just kind of vanish. Like when we go back to Aunt Z's bar and she's gone, it's just the droid. And the first order hollows her everywhere. Yeah. This is a really cool touch. Um, when, when Aunt Z and Hype fly off, they're like, they're, they're going to Taco Dana where Aunt Z has an old friend. And Taco Dana is where, uh, where, uh, Miles Kanata's bar and, uh, Oh, and hideout is. Nice. I guess I just never paid attention to the, the name of the planet. And then uh, I think the the cliffhanger the cliffhanger Andy is really cool, where he goes back and everyone's under arrest. Yeah. So the next episode is the descent. Uh, with the help of the Cheladai, Kaz and his friends manage to escape Commander Pyre and flee into the Colossus's underlevels. Believing the situation to be a misunderstanding, Tam surrenders herself to the First Order. First Order Security Bureau Agent Tierney gains her trust by revealing Kaz's true identity as a resistant spy. While deceiving her by saying that the First Order are peacekeepers, Kaz and the others reunite with Kel, Ayla, and the Cheladai in the engineering deck. Kaz comes up with a plan to take out the First Order's communication jammer by sinking the station. With Captain Doza's help, Kaz's plan works, but Tierney becomes suspicious upon noticing that only, Doza, uh, that only Doza's tower is still above water. Kaz, Yeager, and CB-23 swim up to Doza Tower and disable the jammer long enough for Kaz to send a message to the Resistance. Yeager allows himself to be captured so Kaz can escape, returning to the engineering deck. Kaz and the others receive General Organa's apologies that the Resistance is unable to aid them. Kragan and the pirates intercept Kaz's message, drawing Sonara's attention. It's just the way that scene plays out where the first order had spotted the, uh, the fireball in Sector 6 and uh, even though Bucket creates a distraction, Kaz, Yeager, and Nico can escape. But Tam, you know, she's like, it's all a misunderstanding. These are, these are the rightful authorities. So she kind of stays behind and surrenders. Like, I just like the way her character, like, this character, the way her characters play these final three episodes could have been so annoying and just, just stupid. But, like, the, the writers treated her with a lot of respect and... Like she, she has simply been absent, you know, from most of the adventures that happen. She just doesn't know these things, and so her cho- her choices feel very natural and normal for someone who just who doesn't have that rebellious streak and doesn't have that kind of built in hatred of the first order of the empire. Yeah, and this one, this is it's kind of a lot of running around and making plans and meeting with people, but I, I think it's it's a very fun to watch. Um, the whole, the whole plan to sink the Colossus, I thought was really cool. I really like yeah. that. Kaz, if there's one thing I think you can do, is sink this station. <laughs> yeah. This is another great use of, like, just their underwater visuals. Uh, it looks really Like the pretty. water pouring over the edge of the bulkheads as they're slowly closing. Like, the sense of scale yeah. of the Colossus is really well communicated. Uh, like, the sound design as they turn off the turbines and we kind of get these shots of the inside of the engines. It feels so big and spacious. This is a weird thing to notice about. I love the visual of Kaz's wet hair. Like so often with these character designs, you know, they make one design with one costume and that's the way they are for the entire time. But just the attention to detail, the look kind of the way his hair is like flopped over Flop, whenever yeah. he's wet. And you know, uh, I think Kaz and Year together are a really great team. 
And so, well, that just stood out to me this last time was when he like when he calls the resistance. He says, "This is Kazuda Zeno of the Colossus," and I like that. By this time, this you know this is his home, and that line doesn't feel cheesy at all. It feels like, like yeah, this is this is his home. This is our home. We've been here for so long. It really feels like you know like a real family and place to us. Because at this point, it has been half a year. Yeah, and then Yeager, you're throwing Kaz in the water, and you're giving himself up to help him escape him. Like, I love that we're, we're, we're like one by one, we're like losing our friends. You know, Yeager's you know, Tam is kidnapped. Kaz, you know, Yeager's kidnapped. Like, it's like the as I said before, the noose is really closing in. They, they do a good job of just slowly escalating everything and raising the stakes. And then the final scene where Leia has the message where, you know, we can't help you. We we don't have, we simply don't have the resources and we just, we really just see kind of the dire straits they're in. And this is where I think Kaz really comes into his own. Like, we are all the resistance now, all of us. We're going to free our friends. Then we're taking back the Colossus. We're like thinking about, where he was the, the, when he first was on the Colossus, and he's just scared of everything. What was that with the, the throwing or the falling? Don't think about it. Um, and now he is like literally the, the the de facto leader of the Resistance, and he's the one making the plans and you know, executing them himself. It, it's, I think it's really solid character growth. This is another one where it's like the plot is very simple and straightforward, but it is it's one of the more fun ones to me, and it's also fun to me because there's not nearly as much of just like the it's kind of like what I was saying with the the Marcus Speedstar episode where it feels more focused and there's less of just like hanging around and the silly humor and stuff. All right. So next next episode is a two-parter called No Escape. Uh, the first part is directed by Stuart Lee. The second part by Saul Ruiz and it's written by Brandon Allman. So the first order is a complete c- control of the Colossus. Captain Doza is arrested and tossed in a cell with Yeager. Meanwhile, Tierney continues her manipulation of Tam. Um, that's something we didn't mention in the previous episode. Like she's really kind of laying it on thick and i think i like the, the i hate the character but i really like her like uh tyranny yeah that's to me that's the that's the way that i think the force the first order needs to be presenting themselves is this like very reasonable kind of uh outward appearance so this leaves it up to kaz niku and kellen ayla to come up with a plan to save their friends and the platform kaz wants to escape and go back home to Hosni and prime for reinforcements uh but then the eavesdrop in on a, a first order broadcast of Hosni and Prime's destruction and realize they must save themselves on their own. They discover that the Colossus is actually a ship and hatch a plot to lift it off. First, they flood the corridors and expel the water to rid themselves of the stormtroopers. They then go rescue Yeager and Doza. By this point, the first order's troops are very depleted and they decide to retreat and call reinforcements. Kaz and Yeager intercept them in an attempt to convince Tam to stay, but she is too angry at their deception to listen and joins Tierney and the first order as they leave. They fire up the Colossus, the Colossus' engines and lift off just as a First Order Star Destroyer arrives and opens fire. The Aces cover their street with the help of Kragen. Then they all jump on the Colossus as they jump as they make a blind jump into hyperspace. The season ends with them all heading towards an unknown, unknown destination, uh, but determined to join the Resistance uh, against the now dominant First Order. And yeah, that happens. We see Hosni and Prime destroyed. Uh, Hosni and Prime destroyed, which is Kaz's homeworld, and. You know, for all we know now, his parents are probably dead. Like, I remember that. Like when I first saw that, that, that was the cliffhanger of the first. The first part was Hosni and Prime blowing up with with uh with um what's his name with uh Hux's speech, and just the kind of close up on Kaz. Uh, you know, my home, my my family. I was like, it, it just got like super dark real quick. Again, like again, you know, and yet another kind of notch as the noose is tightening around our characters and. 
hammering home that, that, that the idea that they are completely alone, which is kind of something we had in Rebels. But even then, like we always had the we, we always knew the rebellion was out there. But, you know, having watched the movies, we know that the, the rebellion is absolutely in no place to offer any help. So like they are truly alone. There's there's like literally no one in the entire galaxy that they can call. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And Pyre's line before that, you know, we are well, be- we are well beyond the Republic's reach. Fortunately, they are not beyond ours. He's a good villain. Yeah. And just again, the way uh, Tierney is kind of working on Tam and you're giving her like really good food and being super nice, you know, and just t- turning her against Kaz and Yeager by like, that's a crazy revelation for Tam. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, everything that's happening with Tam is actually like very believable because she's already, you know, she's clearly more experienced than Kaz and he's taking the fireball out all the time. Um, She's already had these suspicions that something is being held from her. And so for the for tyranny to kind of like exploit that, everything that happened and she, and she you know she's already more likely to just trust in in this kind of military occupation. So I think everything that happens with her makes complete sense. Like when she takes her hand at the end I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I be- you know, I believe that." Yeah, and all the li- every lie that uh, tyranny tells her is you know tinged with a bit of truth. But just the whole plan of getting rid of the stormtroopers, I love. Um, like when they go to the engine room and the door opens and the cello die is just kind of standing there. And the guy walks out and the door closes. It opens again. And it's just the cello die alone again. Just something about the way they animate them in slow motion is really funny to me. You know, Kaz going through the water with a CB-23 kind of that's, propelling him. That's one of my favorite visuals. And seeing like the underwater stormtroopers is really cool. I always get excited anytime there's a new stormtrooper variant. Yeah. Yeah, there's a really cool new new ones in season two as well. Nice. Um, but then the uh, the the visual of the way it's super super dark, and it's something that like the, it, it's funny to me with how averse these shows are with showing overt violence, how eager they are to like throw people out in space or <laughs> throw them out into the water. Like I guess because it's not like physical violence, they can get away with something far darker. I think. They they flood all the corridors and they just expel them out. And the visual was like these really wide shots, these tiny stormtroopers like struggling as they slowly sink. I, I feel bad for the guys. Screw them, I say. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just like falling, like fish are coming and grabbing. Like it's 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 much darker than we've been before. But just the whole that whole that whole plan, I think, is really cool and well handled. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, Flix and Orca are in our box. whenever they're like all right hey we got room scoot over and they're just like ready to have them come in and hide with them but to the broadcast of that speech uh, i like the visual of the people watching the broadcast you know following suit with the fist in the air oh and the opening of the next episode as like kaz is there like completely devastated we hear like in the background almost like part of the sound design we hear the the first order storm was just chanting it's like a really creepy, ominous sound. One thing I did like, like I like the visual of uh, of the Colossus coming out of the water, and you like you see where the engines are, and like you see what it, like the shape of it as a ship, mm-hmm. and uh, and the Star Destroyer coming into uh, atmosphere and like blasting at them. It this show felt like between the three animated shows, this is the one that feels moment to moment, I guess, the least Star Warsy. Um, 
But there's just something about the visual of it coming out of the water and the Star Destroyer blasting at it. I'm like, okay, this is this is classic Star Wars. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, just like I, you know, it's been a year. I'm I'm all, all the way almost through season two. So the notion of uh, you know, it being a ship is kind of hammered in. But I think that's just a, such a cool idea. Like this place we've been on this whole time underwater. It's actually a ship, and we're gonna lift it off and leave this planet. Like, it's, it's such a great kind of. It's like a season one to season two. Like to. to so that we can, you know, you know we, the first season series was completely grounded, and now going to season two, we're just going you know, off into into who knows where, and like it completely upsets the entire balance and the, the, everything that was considered normal about the show. And just, you mentioned that scene, but that, I think that whole sequence is really awesome. Where you know, the, the star destroyer comes in, the ties come in, the, the the aces all run back to their ships, and like they, we haven't seen any aces flying in a long time, and. Watching them all go out and you know, fight you know, in tandem with awesome teamwork is just great to see. That was an idea that I hadn't talked about before. I, I like that idea that the aces, prior to the First Order, it was kind of the security. You know, like they just mm-hmm. they scramble the aces anytime pirates show up or anything happens. And they are like the protectors of the station as well. Yeah, they're both one of the big money makers with the races and the protectors. So kind of, It makes sense why they get to live in the high tower. Major Von Rigg comes in, he's after Yeager, and uh, uh, the, the way Kaz kind of flies through the framework of the Colossus to surprise him and take him out, you know, wrapping up that thing where uh, Von Rigg took him out in the first episode, now he takes him out this time. Yeah, and th- 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 that final scene where, uh, you know, Kaz and Yeager are calling out to uh, to Tam, and she's like, I think the voice actress does a really great job in that scene where she's just yelling back, you know, you lied to me. Um, you know, like, I, you, know, you, were, you were like a father to me, but you obviously been you know like the, the fact that for her if she if she believes like she believes tyranny that yeager is just a, a resistant spy you know that means the whole shop is just a cover which means that you know she her you know, this guy she viewed as a surrogate father was only viewed her as a cover you know for his spy like that's that, that's rough man yeah like for her to find out all this and you know even kaz you know someone who she considered you know, she she had her problems with it, but she could consider him a friend, and yeah, it, like that whole moment and the drama of taking Tyranny's hand is uh and choosing the first order, the, you know, another great conflict, you know, leading into season two where we now have someone, someone on the opposite side, you know, who we care about. I think that this is it ended with a cool reveal. It, the this two part episode is by far my favorite of season one. Uh-huh. Um, I never felt like any of the humor was ever really getting in the way, and I feel like there was actually some good payoff to the drama, especially with Tam. Uh, and it's a cool... Uh, it, it reminds me of what we've just experienced with The Mandalorian, where it's like I'm you have a vague idea of what could happen in, in the next season, and you're kind of excited to, to get there. So I, I am looking forward to starting season two now. It ends in a very exciting place where they're all kind of standing in front of the open bay. The hyper- Classic Star Wars final image. Yeah, the, the, the visual of hyperspace will never get old to me. Yeah. Uh, they're all kind of just standing in the, framed against it. Um, yes, yeah, so I think a very, very fun, exciting, uh, promising ending for season one. So like, let's just kind of give our... What, what are your over, overall... What's your overall impression of this show now that you've seen the full season? Um, I like it... Uh, fairly well i think it's so my uh my friend is currently going through rebels and it's i get it's the show isn't i'm not doing this just any favors by like switching between watching this and then going over and watching like twilight of the apprentice uh (laughs) like back to back um 
so I, I enjoy my time with it. It feels light and fun. Um, it does bother me that I just I feel consistently annoyed with just all of the 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 slapstick and the hijinks and that I you know a lot of the conflicts especially in the first half of the season were very much self-imposed and it's a, but I, I don't want to sound too negative I really do like the animation style um, I like the setting I like the the world building they do with the Colossus um, so and and I'm excited to see where they're gonna go now because um, mm-hmm. it seems like they've kind of established the show in season one because this kind of happens with uh, both season one of Clone Wars and Rebels where you know it is much lighter and it's not you know as as firmly established as the later seasons get and so I, I have high hopes going into season two so I enjoy it fine enough it, it's certainly not to me it's it's not at all anything compared to the Clone Wars or Rebels but it's a it's a fun time in the moment yeah, this show just uh, – it doesn't hold a candle to either of those shows, which – and I think this is part of, I think, Disney's well, – I think the, one of the best things Disney has done is that they are really playing for the next generation. And we've seen with the way a lot of the older fans have reacted to so much of what they've done that if there's no way that this brand can survive if they only try to play for the older generation. Um, and I think the way – you look at thing what they've done with – uh this show or like uh, Forces of Destiny, which I'm not really a fan of, or Galaxy of Heroes, which I thought was a really cool series. Um, like they're really they're constantly putting things out to try and make sure that this next generation of kids, you know, has something to be their Star Wars, which you know, that that's the future. Yeah. And I think that that's that if if you know the, that's the way the brand is going to survive. And viewing this sh- this show in that direct in that way. I don't think it's entirely fair to compare it directly to those two shows because this show is so obviously the intention behind it is for a younger audience and you just can't have as many decapitations and whatnot. Yeah, I I only like I can agree with that, but only so far uh-huh. because um, I don't know. Like I, I listened to uh, up until it just became the, the last Jedi hate show. I used to listen to Ripple Force Radio a lot. Uh, and I was listening to them during the the cancellation of the Clone Wars and everything. And so they had this campaign, like they started the hashtag uh, Save the Clone Wars. And mm-hmm. there was this huge amount of people calling in. And w- you were hearing voicemails from people who started the Clone Wars when they were like, yeah, I started when I was six. And now I'm, you know, however long, like, I guess it was six years at that point. And you're like, now I'm, I'm 12. And this has been my show growing up. I, th- I think people underestimate what kids would love to just sit down and watch and there's this, oh, like, this... absolutely but that's just kind of the realities of programming you know sure it's just i don't know i i see i i guess the response to the clone wars and rebels is proof that like you you can go with these kinds of stories and still firmly grasp like this younger generation and they, they'll they'll really latch on to it and love it so yeah to me the i i guess for me is i don't see this sacrifice as something necessary to to get um, younger people on board. Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think it's necessary, but I, I I understand it. Like like Clone Wars, I w- I wouldn't even call that a kid show. Like I think they knew really well that the majority of the audience was adults, and they played to that. And, and Rebels was a like a step more child friendly, but even they, the farther went on, kind of got away from that. 
where this show I think is the first one that truly feels like when, whenever I recommend it, I have to say this is a kid's show, right? I don't know that I would have I would feel the need to say that with the, those first two shows. Yeah. That said, I like this show. I think it, it's it's very charming. It's very fun. It was it was comfort. Like every Monday morning before I would go into work, I would watch another episode. And it always made me happy. I like the characters. And the thing that Felony was saying about, you know, being like Cheers, which I don't even know. I, I don't I don't know about the show, but the way you just wanted to to have a place where you know, this is the Colossus. These are the characters. We're just going to follow their lives and be in their everyday lives. And, you know, the drama kind of slowly happens around them. And and I thought like on that level, I think it's very well executed. I think the actual the overall story arcs and drama of the show, I think, are surprisingly well handled and, and done in a way that's far more sophisticated than a kid show would need where I feel like most kid shows would just kind of introduce the drama you know per episode where I feel like this show has a really great way of seeding it out and developing and building and just the way the first order you know comes to occupy the station the way their their, their occupation ramps up it just feels very clean and natural and just it's a lot smarter than it had to be when you look at its tone and, and how goofy it can be at times yeah um so yeah, it doesn't hold a candle to Clone Wars Rebels, and I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I don't really feel as much need to rewatch. Although I very much did enjoy my rewatch for the podcast. Um, like, I'm not going to be coming back to it time and again. Like, this is not a, unfortunately, this is this isn't must see Star Wars, um, but I do enjoy it. It's kind of there. So, and like that, that is disappointing. You know, coming off of Rebels, coming off of Clone Wars, and and I think those shows are are absolutely like vital. If if you really want to understand Star Wars, you should watch those shows. This it just isn't that, and you know it is what it is. But I do really respect that that Star Wars knows that they need they need to go after this next generation, and you know indoctrinate another you know another uh, generation of cultists for them. There you go. <laughs> this is the way. Uh, <laughs> So as far as like there was actual reception to the show, like among it got very good, rev- like very solid reviews critically, uh, but like among the fandom, I think it's very mixed and tepid. Although it, I feel like we won't actually know what this show's impact is for another five years, like until yeah. until the kids who are because like, it got another season, so people are watching it. So like until the kids who are watching it now, the the, you know, the Dix- Disney XD generation are watching it now joined our online discourse, I don't think we will truly know what impact this show had. But as of now, it I, it really hasn't caught on with the fandom. Like, I know very few people have watched it and was like, oh, I tried one or two episodes. It was too kiddy. I couldn't get into it, which I understand. So, like, right now, it doesn't even really have much impact at all in the fandom, which I think is kind of unfortunate, which may be why, why it's only getting two seasons. Yeah. And uh, with the rumors of, of a Rebels sequel despite my me like enjoying my time with this i i can't say personally that i i'm not l- kind of looking forward to the the trade off of mm-hmm. you know getting to be back with with uh, this other story is is very exciting for me but i am excited that i get at least another season to experience if anything i'm going to i'm generally going to miss the show's art style um, yeah and and all those kinds of aspects here there's a visual element that i I'm going to to miss when it's gone. Yeah. Um, so it did, you know, it got a solid critical reaction. It was nominated um, at the Emmys for Outstanding Children's Program, and it won the Saturn Award for Best Animated Series. And then we got the announcement that there was season two, that was going to be the final season, which was kind of a shock. All the other shows have run for a, lo- a while longer. This, I, I, nothing that I've heard seems to insinuate that this was an actual, like, 
like cancel like a shocking cancellation, which you know it could all be press, but this seems to be their plan, which could just be because you know the rise of Skywalker just doesn't leave a lot of room for them to go anywhere after that, and because they are so close on you know on the heels of the movies. Yeah, I read somewhere that it was always kind of intended to just be this kind of this tissue for this new trilogy as opposed to this long running thing. Mm. Which if that's the case, you know, I'm fine. Like I, I, I don't know that I need five seasons of this, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they, they, they at least got to end it on their own terms, unlike, uh, unlike the Clone Wars. Well, just you wait. Well, that's happening. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's that's coming up. And yeah, speaking of another sh- show that I'm looking forward to more than this. <laughs> All right, so uh, that was our review of Star Wars Resistance season one. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you didn't, like, again, I'd ask you to please head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Uh, if you want to like us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we're there as at Franchise Pod. And if you want to find out other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? Uh, you can follow me. Uh, I'm mainly on Letterboxd, and there is JL Hamry. It's J L H A M R I. Um, and uh, you can also find both of us, along with some other friends, over at The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. Um, very fitting for this episode. Uh, we have just finished up a big marathon leading into the rise of Skywalker, but you know there's still plenty of conversation being had, both in the wake of that film and the wake of The Mandalorian Season 1. Um, and there's plenty to look forward to, because we still have uh, the next season of Clone Wars along with an announcement of Mandalorian season two, like there's, there's plenty of, plenty of, uh, topics. Uh, so definitely feel free to join us over there. I, and I am also on Letterboxd and there's Gabriel green. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as Gabe, the great green. And I also have a YouTube channel called greenery. one, where I make these uh, film based music videos. So next week we're getting back to the MCU with Ant-Man and the wasp. Probably. <laughs> uh, we've been so bad about, uh, you know, keeping up with, the, with this podcast. But I, th- I think I think the uh, the worst is behind us. The holidays are over. I think we can kind of keep it going. So until next week, uh, we will see you in the quantum realm.